0: A podcast all in one place. If you guys want to get in on it, make sure you download the free Anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started. Everybody is yours truly, Connor AKOK Fabe here. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Wrestling Retrospective, the series where, of course, myself and my good friend Jake DeMarco chronicle the careers and uh, the wrestling uh, highlights of some of your favorite pro wrestlers out there. We've done five of these things and uh the train is just gonna keep on rolling and this one is actually uh gonna be a very special one i'm sorry we've done six of these i can't believe i, I can't keep track of how many of these we've done jake this is insane um i think i'm still Time recovering. Flies. I think I'm still recovering from the Undertaker ones that we did a couple of months (laughs) ago. Uh, But we're up to episode number seven here. Uh, This one is going to be a very interesting one and actually also very fitting uh, considering the circumstances. But on this month's episode of Wrestling Retrospective, we're going to be talking about none other than Dean Ambrose, John Moxley himself, who was recently let go from, or rather let his contract expire, seemed the most appropriate, we did ask you guys on social media which ones you guys wanted to see, and just to give you guys a heads up, we are obviously covering Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley today, but don't you fret, we're going to be doing Owen Hart for the next one after this, I'm really looking forward to that, but before we even get into all that stuff, I want to introduce, of course, my my friend, my good partner in crime, my brother, from another mother, the silent Bob to my J, I've got Jake DeMarco, Jake, how are you, bud?
1: Snoochie Boochies, baby. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And you figure, what a time to strike when the iron is piping hot. Dean Ambrose is no more. John Moxley has been resurrected. The internet has been set ablaze by his resurrection. You know, the prodigal son has returned. And I could not be happier to see where we go from here with Mr. Moxley. But it's even uh, a bit more special knowing that this was the one that won for the poll. From the fans, you know, all the great fans you have on Patreon and Twitter alike, and YouTube as well, so the fans wanted to hear the retrospective of Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. now Jon Moxley, so it's, you know, it's special knowing that this is what, you know, the listeners wanted, and it coincided with perfect timing of his contract ending as of midnight on May 1st, 2019, so...
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, guys. Like I said, we we, we introduced that poll uh, last month where we said, okay, we're going to do, you know, we threw out four names up there. I said the first place would be the first one we do, and the second place would be the second one we do. And man, the race between Dean Ambrose and Owen Hart was a pretty big one. It was a long time Owen was getting up there first, but Dean, like at the last minute, slid in and again, it's just, it's it's perfect karmic timing. So, uh, for those of you listening, we are recording this on May the 2nd, 2019 and if you guys are patrons, you guys can hear it as soon as it's done, which is a really cool perk. So if you guys want to head over to patreon.com slash okfabe and become a gold patron, you get access to not only the wrestling retrospective Uh, a month before everyone else we get all sorts of other cool bonus goodies as well and we're almost halfway to our goal of hitting 50 patrons if we hit 50 patrons man, me and jake have got our work cut out for us because that means that we will do not one but we will do two wrestling retrospectives per month so we're looking to hit that goal. absolutely couldn't be more excited to
1: have that you know that would be a dream come true for myself included but you know this this is certainly a, a a you know growingly and wildly successful podcast that people are really enjoying. But like you said, you also get a bunch of great other benefits. Not only do you get access to the show notes for the random wrestling podcast, but there's other exclusive Patreon posts that you get access to as well. As, and also including special badges for the Discord server that you have created. That's for just the base membership. Silver members for $2 or more per month get early access to the retro pay-per-view reviews and the rebooked fantasy series uh, that you do for booking. Access to the show notes as well, and, uh, of course, access to the Patreon-exclusive post and Discord badges as well. But the Elite themselves, the gold membership, $5 or more per month. Not only do you get a big sloppy wet thank you from (laughs) yours truly and OKFAY, but you get access early one month early to the wrestling retrospective podcast that you're listening to currently. You also get your name in the description of the videos as well as everything else that we listed above. So make sure you go ahead and check it out. You know, it's going towards a great cause and uh, make sure you tell a friend because if we, you know, if Connor ends up hitting that goal for 50 patrons, we'll be doing this twice a month instead, more content for you to enjoy
0: indeed I mean I, and by the way obviously we're kind of a month ahead right now because uh, the way it's structured so again you get this access for a month in advance so I went back and I was trying to look at some of the comments I haven't obviously released the hurricane one yet but if you guys haven't heard that hurricane is available for uh, patrons hopefully soon to be uh, by the time you're listening this available all across all our platforms plus you can also I'll also download the audio format of this on my iTunes feed stitcher radius so anywhere you guys are listening to like the okay fame show the random wrestling podcast you can also get access to the retrospectives when they become public and uh, we got a lot of positive comments uh from episode five which was the undertaker one uh travis tlc was saying really good stuff uh gary monaghan was talking about all the different emotions he was um you know, feeling going through all this stuff. I mean, obviously, part two was more of the American badass side. Um, great. Honestly, I've heard nothing but like a positive responses on these things. This is a really, uh, I'm really glad that we're able to do something like this because, as I've said before, me and Jake are total wrestling nerds. So to be able to. <laughs> that we are. So be able to do this in depth and it kind of you know hits home to some of your favorites. Uh, really means a lot. And like I said, we got Dean Ambrose today. Next month we're gonna be doing Owen Hart, and uh, we're gonna. Me and Jake are gonna uh, do a sit down debate. And maybe plan out the rest of the summer for 20, uh, 2019. And uh, got some ideas, but uh, hey, always love to hear your suggestions. So make sure you hit up Jake at Countdown Ended on Twitter. You can also hit me up on Twitter as well at OK Always love to hear feedback on that so
1: who knows we might even have a few surprises for the dedicated fans along the way and yeah you know that the podcast not only triggers a, a great deal of nostalgia and you know you get to, to, to learn more about your favorite wrestler in the same point but um you know with the undertaker retrospectives for part two as well i heard so many people say this was my childhood in audio form this got me into wrestling this is what you know i broke into the business watching and it, it was just very interesting to see how emotionally people reacted to those episodes so it it was empowering for us as well to know that we can kind of take you on a journey back to when you know you were just a bit younger and things were a bit simpler
0: indeed so let's make things really complicated um (laughs) uh so dean ambrose this one is again very uh very well timed, as we've said numerous times before. Again, we're recording this May second, twenty nineteen, and as of this recording, John Moxley, John, uh, John, Jonathan Good, is that his real? I'm trying to remember his name here. I don't have my notes pulled up right, as, right this second. Yeah,
1: Jonathan David Good. He was born oh, December seventh, nineteen eighty.
0: So good. Sorry, horrible. Uh, I got to be full of really bad <laughs> dad jokes I this got evening. You. Um, So, uh, Jonathan Good is technically right now an independent uh, free agent. He is no longer with WWE. He let his contract end on May the 1st. And so, it's very fitting that most of you who probably know what we're talking about probably saw the cryptic video that he posted on his Twitter account, which I think is like the first or like one of like three times he ever posted on Twitter. So, a lot of speculation as far as where he's going, where he's headed, uh, but a very just, again couldn't have timed this any better so this is going to be a lot of fun but might as well start off from the beginning and i know jake's got a ton of notes here but let's kick things off with a little bit of his personal background that will go right into his wrestling career so of course as i mentioned jonathan david good born in cincinnati ohio december 7th 1985 that means he's only 33 years old um which i don't know why i feel like he looks older maybe it's the beard i don't know maybe it's because he's married to renee young i have no idea um
1: I think also because, you know, most of present company is either a bit older or he just he's been around for nearly a decade at this point. All in all, you know, a good eight or nine years in total that we've seen him in more of the limelight. And, you know, he he was active for so long before then. But most people weren't really aware of who he was on on any, you know, never mind national, but a global scale. So having him be the you know part of your life for the better part of a decade, it certainly ages him as much as us.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, considering what the hell he goes through, too, I mean, that probably has a hand with that, too. Um, it's interesting if you go back and listen to um, there's a network special they did on the shield, like when they were just first splitting up when they were first like having like Seth turning on them and, and, and all that stuff. Um, he did mention he was obviously an avid wrestling fan. He idolized Bret Hart and he used it as an escape to get away from his rough childhood and just watching wrestling tapes and just reading stories and kind of just deep diving just like me and Jake do. Um, although you won't see me and Jake do barbed wire stuff unless it's our honeymoon. After a year of training, after a year, he uh, uh, he began training as a wrestler. He actually dropped out of high school. So, um, Yeah, he, he
1: hated his teachers. He hated his parents. He hated his friends. He hated no. his wife. The only thing that he enjoyed was wrestling. The only thing that gave him a little you know, breath of sanity and fresh air was wrestling itself. That was all he was interested in. And he went ahead and, and wanted so badly to be trained. But unfortunately, you had to be 18 years old to start training. So what he did was, uh, you know, he sought out the legendary Cody Hawk and he went and met up with him and, uh, you know, through through even things that led him down, you know, the path of cornet and whatnot. uh, Dean went ahead and sold popcorn for quite a while. You know, he helped clean up and set up the ring. He was it was a real big backstage hand, even got involved in some of like the creative process. But he he stuck it out through and through with the business and and helped learn everything but the wrestling aspect really until he turned eighteen and that's when he began training like a madman.
0: I I do I do appreciate the people who come in and just bust their ass. I mean, obviously that's kind of a theme when it comes to these you know when it comes to yeah. these uh, retrospectives, but like. <laughs> I don't know. I he really with has more. an
1: old school mindset. He's he, he's of that old guard where you you know, you serve your time and you pay your dues and good things come to those who wait. The harder you work, the more rewards you will reap. And you know, he's lived by that motto for ages. He he you know, gives a lot of credit to the people that trained him early on for keeping him out of prison and he said that he was in a very bad spot. He doesn't like to open up and talk much about his childhood but he speaks very negatively about it. I mean, he mentioned bits and pieces on the stone cold podcast, as well as uh, other speeches and interviews that he's given even yesterday when he inducted Cody Hawk, his former trainer into the cauliflower alley awards. He said that, you know, uh, the early days in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Dean had his teenage years, not something he remembers fondly. And everything changed when he walked into heartland wrestling association and met Cody, he said that he was directionless. He was extremely troubled, but he liked wrestling, and it was the only thing that he cared about. And Cody Hawk took that passion and saved him from his life being ruined entirely.
0: Now I know Thatcher is also very famous for training a lot of a lot of wrestlers, and I actually wanted to quickly pull up the list here because I knew that yes. Thatcher was a legendary trainer, and I know he did wrestling in the past and in the in the seventies and eighties. But I was curious. I'm like, I, I know the the one name I knew instinctively off the top of my head was Nigel McGinnis. I knew that. But yes. ready for ready but, for the, but
1: l- Dean is another one, and Dean is also <laughs> sold popcorn for Les Thatcher. You know, sold right. concession, yeah, worked listen, the door and things but, of that nature.
0: But listen to the name of these wrestlers that he's trained. Right, so these are all graduates of um of his school. You have Rosie and Umaga. So, Jamal and Rosie of uh, Umaga, obviously, from the, the Samoan family, the Dynasty yeah. Elix Skip, Skipper, Jamie Noble, Nigel McGinnis, Jimmy Yang, Jimmy Yang Wang. It's <laughs> a weird, funny name. Johnny the Bull Stamboli, Shannon Moore, Charlie Haas, uh, BJ Whitmer, Shark Boy, and even Matt Stryker. So, I mean, that, not you know, a, a huge list, but I mean, still pretty impressive turnout. I mean, obviously, they're, they're highlights of other people, but still. Pretty damn decent success rate.
1: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of big names in there and a lot of people that would go on to maybe not be the you know, the most successful wrestlers, but they would have huge impacts on the business in the sense that they would go on to uh, be really pivotal in, in careers of other major
0: stars. Right. But um, so he did popcorn. He did everything he possibly could to get in there and get his way in. And in 2004, he made his debut under the ring name John. Moxley losing his debut match to Allah Hussein, because that sounds fantastic to lose at that point in time of the year. <clears throat> but the following year, Moxley won the HWA Tag Team titles twice, um, and then also the Heavyweight Championship a couple years later. Um, and then from mid-2007 to early 2010, uh, he continued to work in tag team division, holding the HWA titles with his trainer, Cody Hawk. Um, and he also won the Heavyweight Championship for a third time uh, before making appearances elsewhere. So he had a brief stint in the Heartland Wrestling Association, kind of working his way through the promotion and eventually moving onward and upwards to others. And it's interesting because around, actually before this, is when we actually first get to see him in WWE. And no, not talking about The Shield, not talking about FCW, talking about his appearance on Heat and Velocity when uh, he had a different color hairstyle.
1: (laughs) Yes, he had this Wild flamingo-colored hair, with the with the snarling, and it was long hair too. I mean, you know, medium shoulder length that he had, kind of like uh, pulled back. And he had this this infamous screen grab that everyone throws around of him, kind of giving a snarling reaction with the big lip hanging out, the Elvis lip. Uh, He took on Val Venus at one point, and you know, it was it was essentially a tryout for him to see what he was made of, and they were scouting him actively, you know, before then as well, so. It it, it it he had you know it, it he had a future in WWE for sure. It was just a matter of they wanted to see him kind of finely tune his his character more so. Right, and it, you know that was the thing with Moxley here. He idolized Bret Hart avidly. And that was that was his ultimate hero. And we mentioned before how he used wrestling to escape you know the mindset of his rough upbringing. And that rough upbringing made him a passionate, not just wrestler, but uh, someone willing to put their body on the line more than others. And it was that deranged mindset that he would really allow himself to explore. He developed a huge affinity for uh, not just hardcore matches, but death matches as well. And the next few years, we would see him really delve deep into the bloodiest of bloody matches to really, you know, make a name for himself.
0: Oh, yeah. See, it, it, is, it is very interesting that a guy who idolized Bret Hart, who is one of the most technical <laughs> submission match, you know, submission specialists and like technical wrestlers out there. And, and mostly, especially at this time, Moxley's known for being... You know that master of like the hardcore slash deathmatch stuff, and it is just fearless and insane. and death It's insane to see what he yeah
1: did. he he went ahead and he broke new ground many times throughout the, his days in the indie promotions, wrestling all over the place. I mean, like we said, September two thousand six, he teamed with uh, Hayd Vanson, who was supposed to actually uh, work and and become essentially the new Undertaker at one point in WWE, and that was scrapped. Little little funny side note. But he worked with Haight Vanson to win the IWA World Tag Team Championship in the Puerto Rico based International Wrestling Association. Oh, oh. And they lost the titles to Chicano and Jeff Jeffrey in November, ending their reign at 69 days. So <laughs>
0: 60.
1: he also wrestled several dark matches for Ring of Honor in that time. That was between 2007 and 2009. Then Moxley started working for Dragon Gate USA in late
0: 2009. Right. Now it's interesting because um actually pulling up his list of matches from that time frame and trying to pull up here um you know what he was doing. And so in two thousand in two thousand eight into two thousand like you said IWA, which for those of you who don't know, IWA um and I, I could be mistaken on this because I've heard different versions of different things. I don't have the information right in front of me, but I just want to throw it out there. IWA was widely known it was very widely known for being a hardcore promotion or at least some of their like divisions it was kind of like a the fledgling like nwa territories you see like iwa here mid-south specifically was known for being like very brutal because ian rotten was one of the people who owned it and ran it so you would see um, yeah. All these kind of crazy – I mean I'm looking at the the results of his stuff into like 2009, right? He was at – you ready for the, some of these names here for some of these shows? IWA at Mid-South, Mar- March Massacre, All Out War, April Blood Showers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like come on. I like, love You know what I mean? Um, so between, between IWA Mid-South, which was known for this, uh, and also CZW – I mean hell, he wrestled a match uh, called CZW Eye for an Eye come on now. Um, you got to see a lot of just insane stuff that um, if you ha- I mean, it's kind of folklore at this point. Everyone, I think, pretty much knows what um, what he's done in the past. But I'm telling you, if you really want to dive deep into it, this is the time frame to keep looking for. And just be warned, there's some really sick stuff out there, as I'm sure Jake yes. definitely found And, and in
1: now his character, you know, was, was pretty much fully developed at this point in time. He was a beer-swilling drunk that was also fun You know, he would come out, sing Sweet Caroline to a a small crowd, and he had the mindset of whether it was 20 people or 2,000, he was giving you the the show of his life like he was going out on top. Like, this is it. This is the best it's ever going to get. He always had that mindset of, I'm going to give you 110%, even if it's only for 1%. And I really, you know, that's part of that old guard stance as well, and I admire him for that. And no matter you know, the size of the crowd or the pay that he was going to receive, he treated it as a, uh, you know, million, million dollar payout and sold out, you know, arena. Um, Moxley went from here and really, you know, like you said, you made a name for hardcore matches and in Dragon Gate USA, he started to work. I mean, his first televised appearance was in March of 2009 where he defeated Tommy Dreamer in a, in a hardcore match tape for the Mercury Rising pay-per-view and that got him some really big, Street cred, you know, on on the indie scene. Wow, he beat Tommy Dreamer. It was a hell of a match. But it would end up being his feud with Jimmy Jacobs that really made Moxley a a common name for the, you know, IWC, essentially. It was at the uprising event in Canada where Moxley suffered a legitimate injury where his left nipple was almost severed off entirely Uh during a match with Jacobs. Then, on the, I have a top five here, matches for John Moxley before he made it to WWE. Number four, actually, is the one that we watched earlier. It's John Moxley versus Jimmy Jacobs in an I Quit match. And this was at Dragon Gate USA, uh, Code of the Warrior. This, like I said, their feud is one of the best things in the independent circuit around in 2009. Voted top feud all over the place by many credible, you know, wrestling reviewers and This was going to be the conclusion to their rivalry. And it was one of the most hardcore matches that Dragon Gate had produced up until that point. Moxie and Jacobs tore each other apart. It was a thing of beauty. Starts off where Moxie comes out and he has a, uh, which ended up being his weapon of choice for quite some time, a large, sharp metal spike, kind of like a railroad spike, (laughs) that he would, you know, take out of his boot. And he used that to, to carve into Jacob's head, who then bled profusely. These two men went the distance in terms of brutality, despite the contest being relatively short. They went on to trade blows with chairs, light tubes, barbed wire, tables—you name it. Uh, you know, finally, Jacobs went ahead and was able to gain control of the metal spike got Dean Ambrose, or excuse me, John Moxley then to go ahead and be opened up as well, bleeding all over the place. It ended finally when Jimmy Jacobs reversed a maneuver of of Moxley's and then stabbed Moxley's (laughs) groin with the spike. Yep. Making him tap out. A metal spike to the to the crotch is what caused you know John Moxley to say I quit.
0: (laughs) A submission. It wasn't a, a hold, it wasn't anything, what? it was it was a spike to the crotch. Man, Joey Ryan must be cringing right now just hearing this.
1: Absolutely. You know, so th- this got Moxley the best, you know, notoriety and heat at the same time. Uh, he went from relatively unknown, you know, people were starting to talk about him, but it was more of a murmur. This made him, you know, a, a household name for the internet crew, and from there... Fans wanted to see as much as they possibly could, and it was actually here that we would, you know, go ahead and uh, he would have his last match in Dragon Gate against Homicide in January 2011, where he won. From there, he went to Full Impact Pro's Southern Stampede event on April 17, 2010, and Moxley defeated Roderick Strong to win the vacant uh, World Heavyweight Championship there. He went on to hold the title for 441 days before relinquishing it in July 2011. So, in, in you know, in the meantime, you know, he's match after match after match. He defends it. He's successful. Now he's being signed with WWE. So he's, that's what made him drop the championship. Right. Also, in the meantime of him holding the title, uh, you know, for uh, FIP, he was also competing in Combat Zone Wrestling, better known as CZW, and he became the World Heavyweight Championship there twice. Uh, he defeated BBoy and Nick Gage. So
0: I'm not really surprised. I mean, CZW um, was—I I don't know if they still do this um, because I think they've toned it down a lot. But I think that they—I mean—they were known for being like the biggest American, um, like death match. Company and I, I had a friend who like really into it. I mean, like it was like good God. <laughs> it was some of the stuff that was in there, <laughs> like CZW's like uh, CZW's stuff in that time frame. And again, remember this is still sort of like the wild wild west. I mean, they did some insane stuff. I remember seeing like you know we we thought that just the John Moxley stuff was insane. I remember watching a guy get two syringes be put through his cheeks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean the, one of the matches on CZW uh number 1 on the list here actually that I have with John Moxley um the night he actually lost the championship saw you know them staple gunning each other and at one point Gage who wins the belt gets a dollar bill staple gun to his face, takes the dollar bill off of his face and puts it in his pocket. Great, great moment. Of course.
0: But of course. By the way, they were, f-
1: they were at a special event at that time too, so it was a smaller audience. They went outside and beat each other up through vans, trucks. Uh un- unbelievable what they put their bodies through. There was more blood than I've ever seen in a wrestling match. It's it's up it's until quite, this point.
0: It's quite scary. By the way, fun fact, one of the people he feuded slash teamed with in uh, in uh czw was uh drake younger who is currently drake wartz, who is one of the big, like the lead referees for nxt
1: wow yeah see and it was also at this time that moxley got himself pretty much the you know the, the moniker of the prince of the death match so they would you know czw would have the death match uh tournaments and he he would say that he was undefeated you know and often calling himself the prince or then again the king of the death match and you know, from 2009 to 2011, he, he, that's what he was known for, those bloody death matches.
0: So when he was signed to WWE, obviously he was signed to a developmental deal, and, this, and now we're coming into uh, April 2011. This is kind of weird because, you know, this is 2011 in WWE. I mean, I know this is still developmental, which at this time was not um, Ohio Valley. This time they had f- switched over to FCW. Um, you know... I didn't hear much about this because I didn't you know I didn't really know at the time I wasn't really like into the hardcore like dirt sheet stuff and figuring things out at this point in time as far as my wrestling knowledge but you know you got to figure that WWE probably you know WWE started like the PG like push in like oh nine into 10 like 2010 you were full full blown you know. Uh, yeah, that's when point. it had
1: like been of- officially changed entirely.
0: Right, so it's very interesting that you have a guy who I'm not saying he's bad, obviously, but a guy who is his biggest advantage and his biggest reputation is being the prince of the death matches, and you're signing him to WWE. Now, I'm not saying that that Ambrose, John Moxley, Jonathan Good can't wrestle; he can. We've seen it. He's been, he's put on good matches that aren't deathmatch related, but it's just so perplexing that the, they go ahead and say, you know what, see that guy who's covered in blood and thumbtacks and barbed wire and all that broken glass stuff. I think he'd be perfect for a kid's toy line.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, the guy that, that breathes and lives for hardcore matches, which we do none of currently, let's get him.
0: Yeah, it, it, I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a bad decision. It's just it really makes you tilt your head a little bit. But April 2011 in FCW we had Dean Ambrose. Now, the interesting thing yeah, is, yeah. Before with, we get into that, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. before
1: we, we we fully branch into there, I'm just gonna name off, you know, so people can go ahead and make a side note here. You know, top five matches. You know, if if you pause it here, you want to go ahead and check out some some you know noteworthy uh, moments and and events in the John Moxley early, you know, era. A lot of it's from CZW number five here is it's always bloody in Philadelphia, which great name was from (laughs) 2010. Moxley took on Robert Anthony, and this was a solid championship match, had plenty of amazing spots to cheer for. And one of the standout moments of this match was Anthony breaking a huge pane of glass with a steel chair in order to, to attract (laughs) so much heat towards the, you know, the crowd onto himself.
0: Damn! I mean, I, I remember seeing. I I remember some of some of the CZW stuff that you had already sent me, and just uh, kind of just visualize that. That's kind of insane.
1: Yeah, absolutely incredible. I mean, it led to the point where Moxley power bombs Anthony through the same shattered glass, <laughs> and you know so blood everywhere you know moxley (laughs) even connected with a wicked stunner at one point towards the end and uh there was a bit of a a questionable finish but i'll let you guys watch that for yourself this match is one of moxley's best title defenses in czw time so number four as i had already mentioned before that's with jimmy jacobs the i quit match the other number number three here sorry is uh john moxley Nick Gage and Scotty Vortex. That's at the CZW Tournament of Death. That was in late 2009. Uh, that you know ended with a pile driver onto the you know tube lights that we had saw. Crazy match. Number two is John Moxley, of course, taking on Nick Gage again. Uh, they they countered each other beautifully here. You know they they started off by attacking each other with a fork, and just <laughs> brutally. Uh, you know, as I said, Moxley, one of his tactics was was whipping on either the metal spike or a fork and busting open his opponent's forehead right in the beginning of the match. And Gage wasn't having it and countered and, you know, busted Moxley wide open as well. So they, they both walking around in the pool of their own blood performed excellently, uh, you know, uh, executed suplexes on the top rope through a barbed wire table and that allowed Moxley to pick up a huge win there. And then number one. Uh, the top match is John Moxley versus Nick Gage versus Drake Younger. This was one of the most unique venues that I said before. It was Falls Count Anywhere and it was uh, <laughs> it, the, it was at CZW Southern Violence. This was in late 2010 and uh, like I had said they were on a road tour so unfortunately it wasn't full of a, uh, it wasn't in front of a very large crowd. There was only about, you know, 50 you know attendees at this point in time. Right. But the great part of it was it was such an intimate setting that the fans got to follow them as they went to each phase of the match. Starting off in the ring, then you know fighting through the crowd and concessions area, ending up outside in the parking lot, battling on picnic tables, then fighting through parked cars, coming back inside, destroying what's left of the concession stands, then you know finishing the match in the ring itself. Um, you know they they used everything that there was with the three men beating the living hell of each other amid a midsummer night. <laughs> like I said, the passionate crowd ate it up, and it was Gage who eventually picked up the win in similar fashion, much like the uh, previous uh, triple threat that I mentioned on this list. And he would walk away the CZW World Heavyweight Champion. But even though Moxley lost, he received the largest ovation of the night from the entire crowd. From his crazy performance, and it was his tank top that was no longer white that speaks volumes for itself Jeez. in the end of this
0: match. By the way, I, I do love the the names of. I'm looking up the CZW stuff that you're mentioning right now, and the names of some of these events are absolutely hilarious. Like you have, <laughs> oh, you, you so have, good. they have. Like you said, it's always bloody in Philadelphia. Um, Down with the sickness. I don't know why they didn't do that before. Um, Swing walking on pins and needles. Yeah, this this is these are. Uh, sever ties. Ugh. I mean that I mean that doesn't sound brutal but then again it's CZW. Um my favorite though, blood pressure rising. That's that's you can't these are these are just too great. Um but yeah, I mean definitely go check those out. Uh Jay, did you have any other ones from his John Moxley days? No,
1: those are the top 5. I mean, you can find more obviously on YouTube or searching through, but those are the the ones with the highest uh both fan ratings and uh even you know positively reviewed by critics alike so um there's also a few matches that he had with brain damage and uh dj hyde that you might want to check out as well but those five are definitely the ones that i would recommend personally
0: and and brain damage is the name of the wrestler yes Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's what, just sorry I, I wanted to make sure that was clear because people are like he wrestled with brain damage e- e- yes but the, that's the name <laughs> yeah of the marvin lambert
1: uh Went, his ring name was Brain Damage, and that was one of the first That's, few opponents that uh, Moxley took on in CZW, so That's
0: beautiful. So we move on to the beauty of the indies and his blood-soaked garments in, in tow to FCW in April of 2011. Now, I actually remember watching a lot of this stuff. Um, not at the time. I had to go back and, and do some digging for this, but I do remember... You know, looking through and seeing some of the FCW stuff, and I think most of it you can find actually on YouTube. If not, um, if not, I'm sure they probably have some bonus stuff on the network because they still have a lot of the FCW library available. Um,
1: yeah, they have some of it on the network, not all of it, but a, a good portion of it is up on YouTube, and some yeah. of it even on uh, Vimeo. So,
0: well, well, specifically the stuff with Ambrose, and I coincidentally uh his opponent who he faced for the most part at the very beginning which was coincidentally seth rollins seth rollins
1: burn it down baby (laughs) tyler black had kind of a, a similar uh time in the indies made a huge name for himself and now he goes ahead and comes in where they change his name to seth rollins and You know, Ambrose and Rollins had a 20-minute non-title Iron Man match, and the match ended in a draw with neither man scoring a fall. Then they had a 30-minute rematch in which the title was on the line, and that took place in September, which Rollins ended up winning through sudden death rules. So they went the entirety of the match with no falls and then went to sudden death. And that's when they, you know, really picked up steam and people really started to pay attention to these two in particular.
0: They were having some barn-burning matches, and by the way, they were having it not for the FCW Heavyweight Championship, but for a unique title that they actually introduced as essentially their mid-card title, and I don't know if you remember this, Jake, the FCW 15 Champion. Now, the concept of this was that you would have, in order to defend this championship, you would have, and I I don't even know how this would be possible in some cases, a 15-minute Iron Man match. So, whoever got the most pins and submissions in that time frame, it's kind of like the 15 minutes of fame thing. but. Yeah, I don't know how to, I mean, that sounds like an interesting concept, but I mean, oh, there's a mid-card title, but I mean, don't let the title, don't let the title and the idea of the concept of the championship fool you. These matches are freaking amazing. They are works of beauty to see them just like kind of go at it.
1: Especially with them in their prime, hungry, knowing they have something to prove, wanting to make it to WWE, knowing that this is, you know, the developmental territory that can get them there. They Pulled out all the stops, and you hear me say that often. But here is where you really saw the psychology come into come into play. And it wasn't long after that at a FCW house show, uh, actually October twenty first, Ambrose went on to challenge a little person by the name of uh, CM Punk, who was making a guest appearance. And uh, they had a really good match themselves. Ambrose lost, but Punk. Uh, Pank, I can't talk. Punk would later praise Ambrose <laughs> after the match. It was that you know rub that he received from. CM Punk that would go on to get him uh, noticed more by upper management in
0: WWE, and it's funny because you know looking at um, you know I remember listening to some of the stories about like the Shield you know uprising and whatnot um, that Seth was kind of getting frustrated like in FCW because while he was having you know he was signed to developmental he was getting all the championship accolades and having good matches he was kind of a little frustrated and so. When, it, when Moxley came in, or good, whatever you want to call him, Dean Ambrose, I mean, he's technically Dean at this point, you know, it's kind of like a, oh, holy crap, it's a guy who works just as hard and also has a, a killer indie reputation, which, let's face it, a lot of the FCW guys did already have, but it felt like he said he was being stagnant for a little bit, and then all of a sudden in comes Dean, and bam, they have just, a, again, a couple of really good matches that I remember going back on. Uh, and seeing, so definitely recommend if you have the chance to look up some of Dean and Seth's stuff from FCW, they are truly gold, but one thing that uh, well, immediately after this um, this was one of the more interesting rivalries that I didn't see coming, but when it started, it was one of those head-scratching ones, but at the same time, the way it developed it was great, could have been amazing but it could have been, it was really great for what we got and that's his feud with William Regal
1: yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, th- that was, as you said, from late 2011 to early in middle of 2012, they wrestled twice during their feud where Regal won the first match, but the rematch ended in a known contest when Ambrose caused Regal to bleed from the ear. So got really brutal at the end there, uh, hearkening back to the Moxley days. Then on the February 5th episode of FCW, Ambrose faced Rollins and Roman, you know, going by a different name at that <laughs> point in time, uh, in a triple threat match to determine the number one contender for the FCW Florida Heavyweight Championship. However, Roman was the one to win that match. And later in June, Ambrose challenged Rollins for the FCW Championship once again, but came up short.
0: So this it, is... kind of No, it's kind of
1: a, no, it was kind of a uh, you know continuing a bit of affairs for him where he would you know make these big challenges and come up short but that played into his character at the time and kind of caused him to gain some sympathy from the fans as well you know they they found a way to get behind him and they almost became as as hungry to see him win as he was himself and it had an interesting dynamic between him and the fans overall
0: now this is kind of like a weird part because i don't know if if a lot of people know how fcw like Operated or lack thereof, but a lot of people, you know, this was this was the last major. This was the last mm-hmm. developmental territory that was or developmental um, company concept, whatever you want to call it, before NXT launched. So FCW was kind of like the last like fledgling bits of what you know the developmental system was before you had OVW yeah. and then you had you morph into FCW.
1: Yeah, because I mean uh, FCW you know, started in 1961 and ran all the way till 1987, I believe. And then they reopened their doors, October, 2007 and ran all the way till August of 2012. And, you know, like, as we said, when they reopened, they were uh, officially the developmental territory for WWE. And they had uh, many, many stars that came through their rankings that went on to be successful, you know, superstars, AJ Lee, Oksana, Del Rio, Alicia Fox, Cesaro, Brie Bella, Nikki Bella, Kurt Hawkins, you know, it's Cesaro himself, Damian Sandow, Daniel Bryan, uh, Dean Ambrose, uh, obviously everybody from the Shield, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Jimmy and Jay Uso, Jinder Mahal, you know, Kofi Kingston, I could keep going, Rusev, Ryback, um, (laughs) uh, Sheamus, you know, Ted DiBiase Jr., Titus O'Neil, Tyler Breeze, Tyson Kidd, Wade Barrett, so and a lot of these were people that Dean Ambrose was working with at that point in time as well. So you think about how much talent that that soon debuted on the WWE roster from FCW was just so impressive. What a, what a class, you know, graduating class that he came from, which would lead into the debut of NXT as well.
0: It's just funny when you go back though and you watch FCW stuff, you see like fifty effing banners in the background of like. Either former or current champions, a bunch of WWE posters. I mean, it was a warehouse, and they made no bones about it. To like, you know, if you look at it, I'd be surprised if they could fit a hundred people. And it's just really yeah, no funny. Doubt. It's just really funny that you get, you know, we're we're going from from that to what NXT eventually morphs into. It's just really like interesting, especially because you know, this we're talking. You know NXT's debut, NXT's birth was what around uh, around 2012.
1: Yeah, it was it was in 2012. They they in well, December 7, 2011, they they uh, had recorded an unaired pilot for NXT under the working title "Full Sail Ahead." So that was the first name right. for it, and they, that was at Full Sail University, obviously. And Dean was actually uh, competing on that pilot. He was defeated by Leo Kruger of all people, okay. and also defeated by xavier woods um later on for the first tapings
0: so i mean and that's the other weird part about this too is that you know technically speaking dean was still part of developmental in fact again going back to that like shield documentary about when they're like first like you know going their own separate ways this is back in like 2015 you know dean was kind of floating Dean Ambrose, as to my knowledge, has never shown up on NXT television prior to his debut as the SHIELD. He would eventually come back and do a one off. But, you know, despite him being in FCW, despite him being, you know, the success that he got and and, and even getting called up to the main roster, he never showed up on NXT TV no, before because, the Shield call up. It was weird.
1: Yeah, he was he was recorded for that unaired pilot, and then he also did do the dark match, as I mentioned for the first NXT tapings, but he was never on NXT TV. So you are correct about that. Interesting to think, too, you know, because we did see Rollins make a big impact in NXT originally. And it was at this point in time in 2012 where Ambrose made his main roster debut at the Survivor Series pay-per-view event alongside Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins as they delivered a triple power bomb through an announce table to Ryback during the triple threat main event for the WWE championship. This allowed CM Punk to pin John Cena and retain his title. The trio declared themselves The Shield, and history would be made in that night, which would go on to change the foundation of WWE for many years to come.
0: Now, it's interesting going back at this, and, and I'm, I'm not going to try to jump too much ahead. First of all, I'm surprised how long The Shield was around for. I feel like they were around for like a, a blink of an eye, and they actually were around for, I mean, looking a, a little bit ahead, about two years which is kind of crazy to think um on, yeah it
1: feels sometimes longer but most often shorter i mean because yeah. the thing was you know they've they've reunited several times obviously which we'll get into right so they they kind of stayed in in the you know the forefront of your mind because they were never away for that long you know distance makes the heart grow fonder As where you think back to dx when they broke up you know they they would reunite several times as well but there was always a, a decently long gap in between their reuniting so
0: but the other couple of things i wanted to point out was obviously the, the there's one big piece of and I, I, don't, I don't i don't know if i don't know if you believe this jake i'm sort of on the fence about this um but the big story that was revealed was that the shield was the idea of cm punk but instead of it being seth rollins dean ambrose and roman reigns uh roman was to be replaced by uh chris hero cassius ono so according to him, it was his idea. Do you believe that's true? Yeah, because we
1: heard this on the you know podcast of Colt Cabanas, where you know he was just <laughs> in a safe place to talk with his friend, and this you know obviously came at a point in time where Punk was very heated and felt very dejected. He hadn't been a part of the company for quite some time, and finally was able to speak his piece after quitting. So you knew he was very bitter and. Uh, was in a, a defensive yet attack mode at the same time. He wanted to belittle and basically smear the name of the company as much as possible while also making himself look as you know best as he could. So you have to kind of take his ego into check for this. But I I do at times want to believe that it was his idea because he did throw out so many ideas to creative and upper management. And it had been said by others as well that – he wanted to pick certain people, like you said, with Ono instead of Roman. And i I could certainly see Punk being at the forefront of their creation.
0: I mean, the way he spun it on the podcast, I mean, it does it does I'm not calling him a liar. It just it does seem to fit like a little bit, you know. I and, and and from what Punk said, like the idea was obviously to not only, you know, bring up his guys, but also create a set of opponents for him in the future. You know, the, the, you know he'd split from them, they'd split up and he has like three guys to, to figure things out, you know, in the future. The other fun fact, and I don't know if you remember this Jake, um, the other fun fact that they mentioned was uh, that originally they were supposed to come out in full Riot gear. And I mean, they were supposed to have like these yes. body long shield barriers that said shield on them. In fact, I think there's photos of them. Let me see if I can find them, but yeah. Um, yeah,
1: there are some promotional photos that I had seen years back and uh, I mean it was Hunter <laughs> whom shot down Chris and replaced Roman I had heard as well not Vince oh really yeah oh. Th- that was said so I mean I've heard it both ways but you know they it it, it certainly is is feasible and plausible that this would be something that punk created because like you said it would be opponents for him to face later on as well and you know, not unlike J and J Security, you know that that was what Punk was going for. So
0: yeah, I, I can sort of, I can sort of buy that. But I don't know. Just for some reason, the Punk one, it just seemed a little too convenient that that he mentioned that it was his idea. But either way, uh, he's now part of the Shield, and they are thrusted pretty quickly into uh pretty big important spots and not only that they really backed them up their first matchup uh, so obviously you mentioned their debut they debuted survivor series they helped cm punk retain the title they declare themselves the shield yeah and they
1: they, they 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 you know they said that they were there to fight what they perceived as injustice they were known obviously with the black ring attire with the protective vest and each member thankfully had their own style. It made them rather unique and their tendency to approach the ring through the live audience was really uh, intuitive as well. You know, they had these, these very creative trademark promos, which were recorded from a first person perspective using a handhold camera. Dean Ambrose was essentially the, the, the de facto leader and the mouthpiece of the group. Um, here he was described as being the, the vocal leader and was later than tweaked to be more verbally arrogant. Uh, As time went on, they also uh, had categorized Ambrose as slightly off and wild and unpredictable. Roman was the powerhouse heavy hitter, as well as an exceptional athlete. And he was noted as the least talkative member of the shield. And they kind of tweaked him later on to be more of a confident uh, source of leadership with quiet strength. But they were both backed up by the chaotic architect, So Seth Rollins was described as the outspoken hothead who will do whatever it took to make sure the shield came out on top. And with all these characters, the group, you know, Joey Mercury had, had both helped. He was credited as being a trainer and producer. And as you said, they were supposed to be wearing turtlenecks, carry riot shields. And Mercury was one that kind of went against that and helped tailor their outfits so it is interesting to to note that as well that Mercury had that kind of input. But
0: the one thing I wanted to bring up, and, and this is this is it's actually good that you mentioned that. I don't know about you, but I never saw Roman as the leader of the group. Like I, I know that this is one of the things that they didn't really project a leader on there. Um, and you're right. Like when you watch some of the old original stuff from uh, when they were first around, like 2012, 2013, Roman didn't really say a whole lot. Dean was probably the most vocal out of them all. Seth was kind of in the middle. Roman barely spoke, but Dean was the biggest vocal mouthpiece of the group. To me, that made me associate with him as the leader um, or at least close to it.
1: I always viewed him in in the same regard or held him in the same regard. I should say I, you know, he was the one that was speaking so eloquently and clearly, and it was that wild you know bit of mannerism that he would use with the head shake and the 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 lip flare with his tongue and whatnot that really made him stand out from everyone else at least promo wise and it was his decree of you know rallying against injustice that really made them stand out in my mind i mean they were emphatically stating that they were not working for punk or paul heyman but yet they would go on both raw and smackdown and routinely emerged from the crowd to attack Punk's adversaries, including Ryback, Miz, Team Hell No. I mean, Randy Orton. It, right. As time yeah. went on, you know, they would, you know, essentially were were Punk's hired mercenaries, though they claimed that they weren't. But yeah, I agree with you entirely. I never saw Roman as anything more than just the muscle.
0: I mean, it's hard. Because and that's not can...
1: a negative either. No. That was just a role that he best fit.
0: Right, and I mean the only reason I bring that up is because I remember like there was some sort of argument made, like, "Oh, you chose Roman to be the the the, the big star of the Shield." I'm like, "No, we really didn't. <laughs> we really didn't. We we kind of were more behind." Am- I think Ambrose, honestly, and it's no disrespect to Seth either. I think Ambrose, honestly, got the most, um, the most attention as far as like the the oh, praise especially the early lines. on, he yeah. ha- he
1: had the most to gain. I mean. Seth was more akin to a cruiserweight at that point using aerial acrobatics to, as not just his finisher, but he was rolling into the ring over the barricade. Right. He was the one making the high-flying moves off of turnbuckles, entrance ramps, off of, you know, the arena itself when he flew onto Evolution, you know. <laughs> oh, we that saw that time stuff. and time again. Yep. And Roman was the one delivering the power bombs. He was, you know, the the, the actual tough guy, the muscle, but plus Dean was the... Not just the mouthpiece, but the the main man in charge.
0: I mean, plus, and, and we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Plus, he's the one that won the singles title out of the group. You know, you had you eventually yes, have. Yes, he was the universal,
1: or excuse me, the uh, United States
0: championship. Uh, oh, can't wait! Can't otherwise. wait to talk! Can't wait to talk about that in a second. But um, <laughs> you no, know, I, I just really wanted to bring that up because it's like you know, again. This is early Shield. This is the very beginning, and it's just interesting that a lot of people, are like, oh, or the 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 narrative sometimes is, oh, you chose Roman. I didn't freaking choose Roman. If anything, we chose Dean. Um, but they yeah, had
1: and you key- can tell they rewrote history with that as well. They made it seem like Roman was, like, like I said, they even tried to, you know, towards the end of the Shield, right before they they disbanded and broke up, they tried to make it sound like Roman was the leader, but that was never the case. No, you know, that was just them rewriting history.
0: But but uh, the big thing was um, they obviously had killer matches. The, the 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 first match I remember them having was that six-man TLC match uh, between Team Hell No, Dana Bryan and Kane, who were the tag team champions, and Ryback. And I remember being like, holy crap, they are thrusting these guys really quickly into um, a big main event spot because not only, I mean... You know, Team Hell No was super over at the time because of the tag titles. Ryback was sort of. I mean, he just had the championship match. Um, Ryback was
1: hot at this time. The, the crowd was chanting, feed me more, and, and we're pretty behind him. They, I thought he even had a chance to maybe beat Punk by the way that they were building him up at one point in time.
0: But they went into, so their debut match was a pay-per-view in a six-man tag team TLC match with like th- arguably three of their bigger stars, and they just went f- Nuts! They went insane in this matchup, and it was absolutely beautiful in every destructive sense of yeah,
1: the word. Yeah, I don't think we've seen a, a more destructive beatdown and and true burial of it you know <laughs> of wrestlers of that stature until we saw probably. Lesnar destroy Cena so so simply, you know, at SummerSlam. That's what it reminds me of. I mean, obviously they got in more offense than Cena did, but still that's what it reminds me of. You know, you you didn't think that these new guys were going to be able to cut in and be so just powerful and one-sided essentially. You know, they 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 just were so next level and it was unexpected. So, you know, obviously they emerged victorious, their debut night. A lot of people didn't see that coming and they continued to aid Punk long after TLC, both on Raw and uh, SmackDown and then at the Royal Rumble in January, 2013. And the night after the Rumble, it was revealed through footage that Punk and his manager, Paul Heyman, had been paying the Shield to work for them all along. (sighs) Yeah, I, I wasn't crazy about this decision personally. I like the idea of them just fighting against injustice and, and just being outright well, evil, dastardly heels. I didn't cause it didn't seem like they would care much about money. That wasn't what they were touting in their promos. To me it seemed like they felt that there was people committing wrongdoings that had to atone for their sins, essentially.
0: My big thing was that they could have stretched this out so much longer. You know, I I I felt like they could have really gone the distance with this. Where like, is the shield really working with Punk and create like, yeah, you're obviously creating scenarios where it's like, well, it's pretty obvious. But I would have done like more to stretch that out a little bit. Like, you know, um, yeah,
1: I, agree. I I most found the issue with the money scenario with them. You know, well, being fueled by finances. I mean, that didn't seem like they would pay much mind to. If they had said that, oh well, Punk promised them power and you know, championship opportunities and things of that nature, maybe I would be more on board, but it was just strictly finances that he said was keeping him focused all along. And especially because they quietly ended their association with punk after that. Yeah, that too. It was, it was a bit both concerning and uh, puzzling. So
0: that's, that's really the big thing with me. I mean, it's kind of the same idea where it's like, okay, you know, you're like, Oh, we paid you. That was really like the end of it. But I I get where you're coming from, like the idea of like oh we're doing this for justice, we're doing this for money. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, But even if they, even if they like did something like you promised us this or promised us that, I'm just saying like the idea, especially if Punk, if if what they were saying was true about Punk creating these team of guys to be his backups and then like eventually turn on him and become opponents, they didn't really touch up on that. They never really no, followed they through didn't. on that. It, so, it's kind of And it should
1: have been gone much longer like you said. Absolutely.
0: That was my that was my biggest gripe with it, but I mean, if you're right, if, if it's i it's the same kind of they the, both of our reasons kind of overlap where it's like Yeah, you know, no, no matter
1: what their reasoning was for helping him, it still should have played out differently. Agreed. It should have lasted much longer and it it could have been handled much cleaner. The break now, was very sudden and trivial. So,
0: now it's interesting because you know we were talking about like how we saw Ambrose as the leader. Well, I'm going to kind of like kind of go through these real quick and then of course Jake if you want to pop in. Leading up to uh Dean Ambrose winning the United States Championship. So we're 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 talking at the Rumble. So of course Rumble they do interfere in Punk's match but even though uh you know they revealed they were working all together all along. Pfft, but great. Um they go on to have some pretty crazy six man tags. So with Elimination Chamber, uh the next month they defeat Ryback, John Cena and Sheamus. Again, this is 2013, so we're getting, you know, yeah. pretty pretty big names up there at the time. WrestleMania, they have another six man tag and they actually win the match it's against Sheamus, Randy Orton and Big Show. I just remember how much of a cluster that babyface team was. Like what in the Yeah, f- they was felt that?
1: so oh, thrown yeah. together and they felt like they never had a chance to defeat the shield at all, like whatsoever. And as you said, it just it was this weird amalgamation of pseudo baby faces. Like, Big Show had turned heel and face so many times that you didn't know which way he was coming and going. You know, which way did he go, George? It just didn't add up. And Randy Orton was a bit of the same at that point. We just got done with, you know, heel Orton and everything, with, uh, you know, previously. So- it was just, yeah. Legacy was was you know not long before <laughs> that, so yeah, Now I mean, you have face Randy Orton and even Sheamus. Sheamus, you know, uh, was soon to turn heel. Not long after this, so having that be the super team to end the Shields, you know, reign didn't quite add up. It was just the, it felt like the leftovers versus the Shield, and and that's an unfortunate thing because these guys are all huge names, granted, but them working together as a team never really you know they didn't really have that mindset so
0: and then once again as it seems that WWE tends to do this very frequently with uh is they try to build up something and it's usually involving the undertaker and it never really comes through to fruition so it's a very weird twist so obviously we mentioned that they had feuded with team hell no in the past two weeks later after wrestlemania on raw the shield actually goes up against you ready for this team hell no and the undertaker in a six-man tag and then and this is the weird one here The next SmackDown, Ambrose took on The Undertaker in one-on-one action, but even though he lost, The Shield just destroyed The Undertaker. Why is it that we see so many times, Jake, that they set up something for The Undertaker where, like, the Nexus take him out, the Shield take him out, something happens to The Undertaker, and then nothing comes from it?
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, we, we talked about it previously in you know the last retrospective before uh, you know hurricane just time and time again as you said it seems to be history repeats itself with the undertaker <sighs> it's the only well that they can revisit with him but and it was it was odd here as well where you figured the match would have ended in, via disqualification so ambrose still would have lost but he lost by submission here yeah. so they still wanted to protect the undertaker but i figured they would have done so via disqualification because we hadn't seen the Shield not be dominant to this point, but as you said, you know they they made sure to continually tout that the Shield was undefeated, even though Ambrose lost, because it wasn't until the May 13th episode of Raw where the Shield's undefeated streak as a unit ended in DQ against uh, John Cena and Team Hell No. Right. Now it was a loss via disqualification, but a loss nonetheless.
0: Yeah, that was so. so That's why I
1: was really perplexed that they let the match even reach that point of Dean tapping out. Though they did destroy the Undertaker with a triple power bomb afterwards, it just (laughs) it was it was an odd decision. So now the Shield are no longer undefeated as a as a trio, but they're still putting on great great six man tag matches. And it was here at Extreme Rules where Dean would win United States Championship from Kofi Kingston. (laughs)
0: I have to I have to laugh at this because I remember this period very very well and I I have to laugh because Dean Ambrose and I, I I'm not this is not a knock towards Dean John not, is nothing against him whatsoever. So Dean Ambrose wins the championship from Kofi Kingston and he goes on to become and I'm I'm not making this up the longest reigning United States champion under the WWE umbrella holding the U.S. title for a full, almost a full calendar year. And here's the best part. Yeah,
1: of, almost exactly. You know, from May to May, 2013 to 2014.
0: But the best part is, he really didn't defend it as much as you'd think. And honestly, most of the time, I even think the company forgot he was the U.S. champion.
1: Yeah, he came out wearing the belt, but it was not... Anything more than just that, a belt to keep his pants held up. It it was not utilized at all whatsoever. Would have been better serviced as, you know, them not even giving him the belt, really. I understand what they were going for because only two members at that time could be tag team champions. But they should have just brought back the free bird rule for them instead of waiting to do it with the new day later on. But I don't even think that they had considered that at that point in time.
0: Right and and that's i mean it, it, he didn't he didn't have They wanted the group
1: unanimously to be champions holding the gold problem was is that you know one man would always be the odd man out because it you know it is a trio and they wanted them all to be carrying titles so they gave him the US title it was a prop i mean he defended the title the following two weeks with the help of Reigns and Rollins and you know we saw him uh, really not defend it much in, until he lost it.
0: I feel like. Well, he he did defend it a couple of times. He did defend it like he
1: did, it SummerSlam, Night of Champions, and Hellas Hell in a Cell. Correct? I think. Uh, the,
0: yes. Yeah. He, uh, Van Dam, Dolph Ziggler, and Biggie Langston, and then pretty much after that, he didn't defend it on a pay per view or really, to our knowledge, like on television or pay per view until he lost it.
1: Or even house show, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going through the internet wrestling database and I didn't see him even at a house show defend it. Right. So, at this point, so,
0: so so through 2013, uh, he basically just held the belt, defended it about four or five times. But then, like, by the time we got to, like, you know, October. He re- like it was just kind of evaporated into his belt buckle at this point. So at Survivor Series, the Shield was in a traditional Survivor Series match where Ambrose surprisingly was the first man eliminated. And uh, but then then you start to get the idea of oh Reigns is the only person left in the group or the sole survivor. Ah, uh, okay. But yeah. but we finally get some sort of. I I can't see me right now, but I'm doing air quotes closure as the as we saw the infamous TLC match or match at TLC, excuse me, where it was <laughs> CM Punk against the Shield in a three on one handicap match.
1: Yes, Ugh. um, you know Ambrose was accidentally speared by Reigns, and it, you know it was a it was a bit of a mess at this point, but. It it led to CM Punk being victorious over the three. Right. And they were still heels at this point in time, mind you, as well. Even though they were getting at times a face reaction, they were still heels. So it it was a underwhelming match to say the least, unfortunately. No fault of any person in the ring though, I feel like. It was just booked poorly.
0: Yeah, it was creative. We're we're not I don't think we're I I don't want to speak for Jake, but I think we're on the same page that we're not like groaning because of the matches. Matches weren't that bad at all. It was just the creative was just seemingly out of you know, <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of uh, ideas. <laughs>
1: yeah. So uh, one thing we forgot to touch on, too, is that mm. uh, previously uh, throughout the year, Dean was involved at Money in the Bank in the Money in the Bank uh, World Heavyweight Championship portion ladder match, uh, but he did fail to win despite interference from Reigns and Rollins to help him. So right. even then, that further you know solidifies the fact that he was the leader. He was already the U.S. champion. Then they had put him in the Money in the Bank ladder match and even tried to get him help to win with Reigns and Rollins giving the assist. Yep. Again, Granted, he didn't win the briefcase. But still that, you know, it was him. It wasn't Seth or Roman. And as you said later in the year is when things started to change a little bit, where, you know, Reigns is the sole survivor. Reigns accidentally spears Ambrose, and that's when Punk pins Ambrose. Uh now we enter twenty fourteen and they start to get more of a face reaction, as I I noted previously. Ambrose enters the 2014 Royal Rumble. He's number 11, and he eliminates three participants himself before being eliminated by, dun-dun-dun, Roman Reigns. The following night on Raw, the Shield faced Daniel Bryan, John Cena, and Sheamus in order to earn their spot in the Elimination Chamber match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. The Shield lost, though, after the Wyatt family who consists of Bray Harper, Eric Rowan, or Bray Wyatt, excuse me, Luke Harper, and Eric Rowan. Can't talk tonight, I said. Uh, they interfered in the match, and that started one of the best feuds uh, I, I can recall in recent times, especially the last decade. The Shield would lose to the Wyatt family at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in one of, I think, is the greatest six-man tag matches of, of modern history due to Ambrose abandoning his team midway through the match, thus creating the further tension within the group but what a match this was and, and both the matches these teams put on you know were fan-friggin-tastic so
0: good I do remember the uh, I do remember I was, I was hoping to get to this part uh, the Wyatts and the Shield that was a treat in and of itself I remember the build going into it and how people were chanting this is awesome and they hadn't even touched and it was awesome because, you know, the Wyatts were still relatively new because I think at this point they just debuted um, – it couldn't have been that long ago. It had only been like a couple of months. Um, maybe uh, – no, SummerSlam I think. But that's the, that's the earliest I could, I could think of. But the fact that you had like now two of these major factions coming at each other uh, was really, uh, really interesting. The Wyatt thing was really fun because, you know, like I said, two teams that are very similar. I don't think the Wyatts were around that long. I think they only, like, showed up. I'm trying to, like, pull it up here. I think they were around, um, where the hell are we here? 2003. Okay, so, like, SummerSlam. So, they've only been around for, like, a couple of months. So, obviously, you have, like, these two. It's like a dream match in some cases where you have, like, oh, these guys are, this is a team of three. Oh, this is a team of three. This could be fun.
1: Yeah, and like you said, the crowd chanting, this is awesome, before it actually even started, incredible, really incredible, and not to mention, too, I mean, this this is, again, more cracks in the foundation of the shield, you know, it was really starting to show, we saw, you know, at this time, Dean Ambrose goes ahead and gets called out by Mark Henry, he loses, thank, you know, Mark Henry loses due to interference by Roman and Seth, And then again, you know, a few nights after, Roman defeats Mark Henry without needing the help of the S.H.I.E.L.D. teammates. So that was, you know, again, to show up Dean Ambrose. So you see these two kind of, you know, getting on each other's nerves, essentially. And cracks in the foundation are definitely showing. And then we get to the S.H.I.E.L.D. taking on the Wyatt family. And you see Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose. They go ahead and they brawl all the way into the crowd and then into the back, and they were out of the match for quite some time, but only Bray Wyatt returns later with no sign of Ambrose, and it was the numbers game and being outnumbered that led to Rollins and Reigns being overwhelmed and losing the match, and something similar would happen at the rematch, the March 3rd episode on Raw. Uh, The Shield's poor teamwork led to Rollins walking out during the match, and Rollins claiming that he had enough of being the glue holding the group together. So, I mean, this is, this is showing signs of wear and tear, and they were no longer as dominant as they once were. They're racking up quite a few losses, and, you know, the, things are, are weighing heavily on the minds of the teammates. But the, the matches they gave us still, in the meantime, fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. It was, I, I, I don't know if it's on your list. Um... For some of the top matches he's had but if it's not it definitely should yeah
1: be. it it's on both actually uh it's number five on the critic reviewed list the shield versus the wyatt family on raw actually hmm. and the honorable mention here is shield versus team hell no and ryback but the shield as they said the wyatt family came up you know close to the same time and not long after you know facing each other for a second time the groups managed to top their previous match at elimination chamber which was fantastic and it's yeah, also good. I believe number ten on the ten best Dean Ambrose matches as well, so and that's fan
0: voted, damn, well, I know the shield um slowly start to turn into 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 baby faces at this point in time, they're now starting to feud with like Kane and the authority a little bit, but you know they 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 so they essentially turn baby face and then they have again random match where it's. <laughs> the shield against kane and the new age outlaws i can't believe that came out of my mouth at wrestlemania and i feel like that match was really short
1: it um, was a squash match squash and a half you see how long that very, match very was very very short match while you uh, look that up i mean i was shocked by how fast <laughs> this match
0: 2, two minutes it was and 56 a, seconds
1: yeah i knew it was incredibly short and i was so disappointed that you know the shield had gotten this treatment especially after the, the phenomenal matches we got with them previously, even just with you know Team Hell No, neither John Cena or Ryback or the Undertaker, you know they always put on fantastic works of art. And then the same thing with the Wyatt family, especially you know you get two amazingly intense bouts in the ring to lead to a three minute match at WrestleMania, and especially WrestleMania Thirty, it had that huge feel to it. So it was unfortunate that this is what we got, and but it was an awesome entrance. I'll give them that much. But they made
0: up. But they made up for it afterwards. I, I will say that because in spades, uh, because what happens next is obviously, like I mentioned before, the big reveals is that they're now babyfaces and they're now feuding with the authority. More specifically, they're feuding with the new version of Evolution, Triple H, Batista, and Orton. And yeah. at this point, Dean does ha- Dean does lose the U.S. title, unfortunately, because Triple H forces him to defend it in a twenty-man battle royal, which sees him lose it to Sheamus, ending his title reign. For are you, ready for this, Jake? Three hundred and fifty-one days.
1: Holy yeah crap. incredible you know and as we said he didn't defend it all that many times so <laughs> still hell of a run and it, it it served him well at that point in time looking back maybe not as much but now that the shield are, are absolutely their baby faces they're finally seeing eye to eye you know Rollins said that it, it took him uh to walk out of the ring pre-mania match for Ambrose uh, and Rollins to to stop you know, hitting each other and finally see, or excuse me, Ambrose and Reigns to finally see eye to eye. And, you know, they all reconciled. Things are working well. They're now viewed as faces going into WrestleMania 30 against the authority, you know, (laughs) because it it was, you know, Kane was helped by his authority teammates, the new age outlaws, and the authority obviously viewed as the bad guys. Now Triple H, as you said, takes away uh, Dean Ambrose's U.S. title, by putting him in the twenty-man battle royal, and now we we get to see that it's all leading to Evolution reuniting, and they go ahead and they have some you know some of the the, the best matches as well you know so we see them against the Wyatt family fantastic amazing matches and it only gets better against evolution which we weren't sure how that you know it was it was going to be batista has been back for not that long you know since january where he won in the rumble and randy orton and triple h are, are you know working together once again and we had a no holds barred elimination match at payback where they defeated uh the evolution in which no shield member was eliminated at all oh, yeah, so it was just that. extremely decisive yeah huge victory amazing match
0: it was a, a hell of a contest between these two teams and you know absolutely like I, like I said wrestlemania 30 was a little bit of a disappointment for them but they made up for it in spades with these two then they have two uh pay-per-view matches back to back yes they did so okay yeah i thought it was two. the first so, one was at
1: extreme rules yep and then you know the, that one that that was Yeah, the second, well, the following night after Extreme Rules is when Triple H forced Ambrose to defend his title in the Battle Royal. Okay, that's what I thought. And then that led to him losing, you know, after reigning 351 days. And then the Shield defeated all of Evolution without losing a single member at the payback pay-per-view. The following night, though, you know, Triple H said that, hey, I'm not done with the Shield here, and you know, his intentions were to continue feuding with the shield and Batista quits WWE for a second time
0: <laughs> that, ring, that you know, says that, he's done that by the way, not to, uh, not to cut you off, Jake, that was probably one of my favorite moments in recent memory because I remember Batista quitting and just does like the princess wave. I freaking died at how <laughs> he's so classic. He was just like, I don't care. I lol, l- l- I'm done. I'm going to go off do guardians of the galaxy. Um, but uh you know when you
1: think about how much shit he endured since he returned as well.
0: I know. But this was With I mean, the mean
1: Tista, the blue Tista, yeah. Having I mean, to get it well. removed from his title win at WrestleMania 30 in lieu yep. of Daniel Bryan being cheered.
0: So the interesting and thing then getting
1: his ass kicked twice by the shield. <laughs>
0: right. So obviously we know what happens right after the second lost evolution. But the one thing I want to say is given what we know then now, um or given it what we know now because of then you know, presumably that would have been the last match of the shield. I say presumably because I'm pretty sure that we all would have thought like at some point they're probably going to get them back together if not for like a one night only thing, whatever. But if that was truly the quote unquote last shield match ever, <laughs> hard to top those um, with evolution. Yeah, what a way to go
1: out than to go out on top with some of the best workers in the business, you know, it, it Evolution, my God, one of the best factions of all time, one of, going against another top faction in the Shield. How can you get any better than that? And Triple H, you know, saying that he's got a plan B for destroying the Shield, I didn't see coming. I really didn't. I didn't think they were going to break them up yet, honestly. I think everybody
0: thought Ambrose would turn.
1: Yeah, I I certainly didn't think Seth would be the one. I I had thought Dean or even Reigns, not Seth. Didn't see that coming either, honestly. I know some people said that they saw it all along. I admittedly did not. And, you know, Batista quits. Triple H says he's not worried. There's always a plan B. And you see Seth Rollins standing in the ring with his Shield brothers next to him side by side. And Seth takes the, the chair and starts attacking both members of the Shield. Dean looks shocked and then proceeds to get destroyed while Randy Orton and Triple H come in the ring and finish the job. And Seth stands tall with the authority now aligned with the evil bastards of the corporation. So the June 9th episode of Raw, Rollins described his betrayal as uh, severing a business relationship that he had destroyed his own creation, saying that he was the one that created the shield. And this was all to further his own interest. And Ambrose and Reigns, still labeled as The Shield, they came out and addressed Rollins' betrayal with Ambrose describing Rollins as a cancer in The Shield. And Reigns claimed that Rollins was, you know, committing the most unforgivable sin. Later that night, Ambrose and Reigns had what would be their final match as The Shield, teaming up with John Cena to defeat the Wyatt family. So now The Shield had split apart and were officially done.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I, I mean, that was truly, like, a, a big shocking moment. And I, I do love when Dean had this like, mouth agape about the whole thing with when, when Seth betrayed him. Because, like we said, especially with you just mentioning how, like, they showed the frustration with Dean abandoning the S.H.I.E.L.D. during the Wyatt family thing. And Dean, you know, l- looking at, like, the three of them, right? Nobody really thought Rom- – I don't think anybody thought Roman was really going to turn because he was so quiet. Um, but I don't think anyone expected Seth because Dean just has a – Again, the reputation from not just the shield, but also from you know what we talked about with his reputation on the Indies has that like heel kind of gimmick. Like we're like, oh, he's gonna turn on them. He's gonna go nuts. It's gonna be great. You know, you're gonna he's gonna um, you know be that truly bizarre character, just like fight everybody and go crazy. And Seth turning on him was obviously a bigger surprise than we all expected. And then. Yeah,
1: because I really saw Dean becoming that Moxley character out and out. That's what I thought would happen. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I they, think everybody were did. Beginning to call him the lunatic fringe at this point. And yep. that's where I saw this, this happening. Plus, I was really upset because I was going to take Danny for her birthday the week after. And we had gotten tickets to, you know, towards the floor more. So we could see the shield come out and they were no more.
0: Oh, <laughs> it was like, God, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Um, freaking, so, uh, (laughs) then comes, in my opinion, the feud that just never seemed to end, which is Dean Ambrose going up against Seth Rollins. Um, not that it was a bad thing, but man, I don't know about you, but I felt like this ate up the rest of 2014.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this went on for months and months and months. They had some great moments, some great interactions. I mean, (sighs) It just, like you said, it felt like it never ended.
0: I mean, again, it's not, how do I phrase this? It wasn't a bad thing. Like, the matches weren't bad, but it just felt like, I mean, they did, it felt like they did everything under the sun with these two guys, right? So, obviously, Reigns kind of went off and did his own thing. It was starting to become a baby face in his own right. Meanwhile, um, this, of course, you know, now, you know, Seth's coming out to new music. Dean's coming out to new music. They're changing up their looks a little bit. Roman's the only one that's keeping the shield music, which I find very funny. Um,
1: Yeah, he's keeping the shield gimmick. And part of the issue, too, is, is, you know, I'm sure you'll make note of, is that they didn't give us many decisive victories or finishes with these two, and you never really felt like redemption was served. We saw a lot of hokey uh, excuses happen to keep them fighting. You know, later on, we'll get to the Hell in the Cell match, which has a very controversial finish, and, you know, there was a lot of that that went on and a lot of silly antics in the ring. You know, we're basically we 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 see the authority be the the bane of Ambrose's existence. Uh, Kane, J&J security, even Triple H at times do everything they can to make sure that, you know, Rollins succeeds. And from there, you know, Dean Ambrose is, is trying to keep. You know, one, he's trying to get his hands on Seth Rollins, but two, he's also trying to keep the authority at bay. We get some money in the bank and Kane attacks Dean Ambrose, allowing Rollins to win. And Ambrose was supposed to face Rollins at Battlegrounds, but he was ejected from the arena by Triple H after a brawl with Rollins backstage. And we ended up not getting the match then. And that was a big disappointment. So that was a swerve. I remember there were some issues, I believe, at that point in time, you know, in Non kayfabe terms. Right. But it ended up delaying the match till SummerSlam. And they had a lumberjack match. And then Kane got involved again. And this is when Rollins hit Ambrose with his Money in the Bank briefcase. So we're seeing them face each other again. But the problem here is that there's always outside interference and there's always, you know, some type of fuckery happening you know there's some type of issue that keeps them from really being able to get their hands on one you know one another without some outside factor becoming a factor in the match the night after SummerSlam we see a false count anywhere match where Ambrose loses after interference once again from Kane after the match interestingly enough Rollins curb stomps Ambrose's head through cinder blocks that he had uh, awaiting on the side of the announce table, causing him to take a short hiatus from WWE, and this is where I went, I believe he went to go and film uh, The Marine, or one of the 12 Rounds movies with, I think it was 12 Rounds at this point in time, but it gave Ambrose a short break from the company. We wouldn't see Ambrose return again until Night of Champions in September, where he attacked Rollins and the <laughs> duo would face off in the Hell in a Cell match at the pay-per-view with the same namesake right. where Ambrose lost yet again from oh. a returning Bray Wyatt who interfered and attacked yep. him. Now, this match started off excellent. You know, they they so much buildup. We thought this was going to be the end of the feud for these two, really. Like, this was going to be the blow-off. This was going to be the culmination of everything that these two have gone through. Leading up to this, we see, you know, Dean stealing the the briefcase of of, of Rollins and booby-trapping it to, you know, spit out the green goo. We see uh, a dummy get his private sawed in half. You know, there was a lot of silly antics going on and a lot of uh, tag kind of scenarios where you see Dean chasing Seth Rollins all over the arena you know, behind the scenes, always trying to catch him. So he said, what better place than a hell in a cell for these two to fight because there's nowhere for him to run. And that was the mindset of the match. Well, they, you know, are spending basically more time, I feel like, out of the cell than in it as they end up crashing themselves through the announce table while climbing up the side of the cage. When they finally do get back inside, um, the lights go out and from there's a projection hologram in the corner of the ring and ends up being oh, a returning right. bray I, wyatt you know a, a, a hologram hologram, a hologram took out
0: dean ambrose oh god okay so for, first yeah. off i want ba- to take in there but yeah, yeah. Let, let me back up a little bit here so first and foremost you know again back to the seth Rollins thing real quick it was funny how things like they they uh, t- to to an extent they made things interesting. I'm not saying that the feud was boring between Seth and Dean. I just felt like it went on forever. No, really. um, you know, again, if you look at the major milestones, right? You have, um, you have, uh, you had the Money in the Bank ladder match, which Seth won because of interference from Kane. That set that something up, which I thought was clever, not like immediately rushing them into a program. Uh, then, yeah. which also helped Seth Rollins help him make him the prodigy. The Battleground I actually thought was very clever because, you know, you have Ambrose and Rollins' history, and Ambrose is obviously BS, and you can't just have him have like a normal match. You can't just go right into that. So I think that the way they handled the, the the battleground pay-per-view, honestly, I thought was a stroke of genius because it's like, okay, I'm gonna cancel a match, screw that, we're gonna protect him, and then it just a brawl ensues anyway. I thought it was kind of clever in a sense. Then the lumberjack match I thought was really fun. And I'm trying to remember this, but I think didn't like Dean. And I'm trying to remember the spot here, but didn't Dean like get like body surfed by the the lumberjacks back into the ring or something like that? Oh no, it was Seth. Yeah, it was Seth. Got it was I, Seth that got I, Oh, that was yeah. a good spot. I, I remember that. He's he like no, 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 and they're like almost like on like a crucifix. Yeah, they threw him
1: back. Yeah, they threw him back into the ring as he was basically trying to get away from yep.
0: Dean Ambrose. That I thought was really clever. Um, you know, uh, but yet
1: again the problem was is that you know Kane interferes yeah. and Ambrose uh-huh. loses. Right. And Ambrose just continually has has racked up loss after loss after loss. Excuse me. Then the night after he goes ahead and gets destroyed by Cinderblock. So not only did he lose in the match, but now he's injured. So it just it wasn't great for Dean at this point in time. Though the promos that they're having and the chase scenes are funny and entertaining, right? You just really wanted to see that vindication happen. And by the time we got to the match, we thought it would happen. Yep, a hologram. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so bad. You're right. And that that's I, I you know, now now, we're, now that we're bringing this up, I do remember that this was one of the frustrations. It was like Dean never got a win. He never got a win over Rollins in terms of at this at this point he never got a at win at this over point Rollins. and that
1: losing streak continued because now he's in a feud with Bray Wyatt so it was odd because yes he's got to attack Bray you know he's it, 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 it that's going to continue to happen he's going to have to go over Bray go after Bray
0: right I mean it's it's tough because. Fine, okay, Rollins, you know he's the poster child. He's going to be winning the championship. You need someone to get him over. Fine, be right. The the Wyatt thing really didn't help much either because he, he lost to him at both Survivor Series and TLC. And then and the one
1: at Survivor Series, I believe, was the one where the monitor blew up in his hands.
0: I think you're right. He went and to then, go and
1: strike Bray Wyatt with the TV monitor, and the cord got ripped out and explodes and blinds Dean, and then you know Bray delivers sister Abigail and you know, knocks him out. So
0: And then he goes on to fight, and, and this is the part that really is eye rolling. Miracle on thirty fourth street fight for like the Christmas episode of Raw Right, he loses that.
1: And I will say that the TLC match and the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street fight were very, very good. Great matches. They were really good. Survivor series fight was a joke, especially with the the controversial finish. But they had a great match you know, that, that you thought would be a throwaway for the miracle on 34th street fight it ended up being really entertaining. And then the, the feud ends up concluding after Wyatt defeated Ambrose in an ambulance match on the January 5th, 2015 episode of raw. So Ambrose hasn't won jack shit. He lost all those times yep. to Wyatt, all those times to Rollins. And then at the Royal rumble, Ambrose participated in the rumble match, but was eliminated by Kane and big show. <laughs> he then attempted to win the IC title at fast lane. And, and Mania. And Mania, but failed on both occasions. Yep. You know, so it, it's just like one thing after another at this point in time. He's losing, losing, losing. I I, I just feel so bad for him, but my God. And it, it was WrestleMania 31 that... Ambrose got slammed from the ring to the outside, gets power bombed onto the ladder and gets taken out, you know, completely destroyed. And that was the night that Rollins was able to cash in because Rollins was told by Dean, anytime you go to cash in that briefcase, you you know, I will be there to stop you. And the one night that he's officially taken out, which you were in attendance for.
0: Uh, no, 31, Correct? I was no 30, 32. Oh, you were 32. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about my disappointments for 32 in a second. Trust
1: me. <laughs> All right. So you were there for the, the even bigger disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. 31. My numbers always get confused, you know, so he loses in the IC ladder match and now he's taken out and which gives Seth the opportunity to go ahead and cash in. And he does so successfully against Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. So now, Dean is beaten up, battered, destroyed on one hell of a losing streak. And Seth Rollins is champion.
0: And it really wouldn't ha- – I mean, he does get his first pay-per-view victory finally at Extreme Rules in April against Luke Harper. And it's his first pay-per-view victory uh, – sorry, his first singles pay-per-view victory since The Shield broke up, Uh, you know, almost a year later. Um, we did see Ambrose do some com- – uh, he did compete in the 2015 King of the Ring tournament, but he was disqualified. Yeah, it took 10
1: months, almost 11 months essentially for him to get a, his first singles victory on a pay-per-view. Yep. You know, that's,
0: that's, a, that's a rough go. Very. But – um, it would, this would kind of, Ambrose would like float around for a little bit and they would go right back into feuding with Seth once again for the WWE Championship. Um, it did Yeah, so, so they're going to yeah. kick back off where they left off at. Maybe that's why I feel like this went on forever before. because they did it twice. Well, they,
1: yeah, they, they went right back into it and then they had it again later on when he turned heel. So, I mean, they've had multiple iterations of them facing each other for quite some time and it felt like it never really, Got to a proper conclusion, either. That was the unfortunate part of their feud. It never felt finite, it always just felt, you know, ever going and everlasting. Right. So, here we would see Ambrose, you know, returns to feud, as you said, with Rollins, and he defeats him in a non title match on Raw and was added to the championship defense at payback against Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. So, Rollins retains his championship and at Elimination Chamber, Ambrose defeated Rollins by DQ for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, but he didn't win the title. And Ambrose, even though he didn't win the belt, he stole the belt from Rollins and challenged him to a ladder match for the championship at Money in the Bank, which he narrowly lost. Remember that? He had pulled the title down at the same time as Seth Rollins, and Seth's feet hit the ground first. It was a photo finish that they pulled off really, really well, very controversial yet again, another controversial finish for Dean Ambrose, and you know what, what a what an upsetting loss so
0: and then weird one so Ambrose, and I remember how over he was at this point he uh he then goes on to do some very interesting matchups uh teaming with back with Roman again, and i don't know why. I don't know if it's because they didn't have anything to do with either one of them, because uh, remember Seth's the champion at this point in time. Roman lost at WrestleMania, so he hasn't been pushed into the championship picture quite yet. But he, we, we we know he's we know he's going to be. Um, but so going into you know after that he teams up with Reigns for a little bit. He faces Wyatt and Harper, so they're going back into another rivalry with the Wyatt family again. Ambrose and Reigns fought Wyatt uh, Wyatt Harper in a SummerSlam rematch the night after on Raw, but they had a little backup with them this time. It was the debut of none other than get these hands himself, the walking scream, Braun Strowman.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Strowman appears on the edge of the ring in the black sheet mask, enters the ring and looks so dominant, Just, just so beastly. And ends up suffocating Roman until he passes out. Same thing with Ambrose. Really a vicious sight. And I wish we saw more of that from Braun going forward. Unfortunately, that kind of faded yeah. away pretty
0: <laughs> Um. So after this, I'm, lo- I'm just looking through here my notes. Um. We see them, you know, team up against Str- Strowman. Night of Champions, they do a six-man tag where they actually get a returning Chris Jericho to join them. Uh, but I remember Jericho's like didn't want anything to do with it after they lost. Uh, he's like, ah, screw yeah. you
1: guys,
0: screw you guys. Kind I'm of, you know, you.
1: he was an ipso facto, you know, <laughs> one night only Shield member that denied that ever happened.
0: <laughs> but then something came out that was very unexpected right after well not too long after uh this night of champions pay-per-view and that's the fact that unfortunately due to a very nasty injury seth rollins now has to vacate the wwe championship this would lead to a giant 16-man tournament i remember like the new i remember this news breaking and just how much of a crazy like holy crap this is throwing a lot no one saw this coming yeah, no no I mean I don't even think Seth saw this coming. So when they <laughs> they vacated the championship and then almost the next day they announced they're doing a 16 man tournament where the finals no I'm sorry the semifinals and the finals would conclude at Survivor Series and of course it comes down to Reigns and Ambrose.
1: Yeah, Seth Rollins really seemed indestructible at this time after everything he had went through and endured and so for him to be injured he just seemed like a real Iron Man you know he seemed like he was anything but injury prone
0: yeah I mean going back and looking at the footage of Seth's injury it is I mean oh god it's freaking nasty yeah, to watch. it is a
1: an awful injury you know and just a terrible landing you know trying to flip over Kane the sunset flip power bomb just not landing right on his you know on his knee but I mean, you look at some of the harrowing close calls that Seth had before then, you know, Hell in a Cell, Money in the Bank. It just, just, you really felt like he was indestructible up until that point in time. So that's why I think it was even more such a surprise. So now we're at Survivor Series. It's Dean Ambrose taking on Roman Reigns. And unfortunately, Roman Reigns is the champion. He defeats, (laughs) narrowly defeats Dean Ambrose. And Reigns is left celebrating being, you know, hoisted by dean ambrose in the same time so yeah wasn't long after that dean won the intercontinental championship for the first time after defeating kevin owens at tables ladders and chairs the pay-per-view though and then he defends the title against owens and ziggler multiple times between december and january uh now we're in 2016 he then became the runner-up in the 2016 royal rumble match for the wwe world heavyweight championship now at this point in time this was the what the second time in history that the WWE championship would be on the line at the Royal Rumble.
0: Right. I remember I actually remember this very vividly because as as you mentioned earlier um you know the WrestleMania 32 is the one I attended. So you know at this point I already yes, bought this the this is tickets. your year. So I already bought the tickets so you know everything was already kind of like I'm curious where things are going to go and then Seth's injury threw things off. Uh this was you're right this is the only second time in history where the WWE World Championship was on the line for the Rumble match itself. Um, but it's the first time that anyone had to defend it in the Royal Rumble match. And uh the part that was the most interesting was the fact that Roman, who was the champion, was the third I'm sorry, the second to last one eliminated. So the final two was Triple H, who ultimately won, and Dean. And I remember when Roman got eliminated, I'm like, wait, Dean's still in the ring. There's, there's, there's no way there's like a, I mean, we kind of all figured what was going to happen, but I mean, for a couple of moments, we're like,
1: (gasps) yeah, we had predicted that triple H, I mean, you, myself, Joe Cronin, many others predicted that triple H was going to win to build to the WrestleMania feud. But when Dean was the, you know, the one left standing, you know, of the final two, you just, you had that hope and a prayer moment that, you know, hail Mary, could they, would they, should they. I mean, we even have quotes from Wrestling Observer saying the crowd was way more into Ambrose than anyone else, especially Roman Reigns. Why does Ambrose continue to do more jobs when he's the most over baby face they have? And that could not be more true. That crowd was so behind him, so electric, so unanimous. They came out in full force to, to just give him one hell of an ovation. And then, unfortunately, Triple H eliminates Dean Ambrose and becomes the new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. The following night on Raw, Ambrose was announced as part of a triple threat match to see who would face Triple H at WrestleMania 32. The match's participants would be Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and Dean Ambrose. So uh, later on, uh, building up to WrestleMania, Ambrose was forced to defend the IC title in a five-way match, and he lost the championship when Owens pinned Tyler Breeze. So, unfortunately, Dean loses the IC title without actually being pinned himself. I remember that. And after that. losing that match, uh, you know, it, it was just a big blow to him entirely. And I, I, again, questioned the mindset of the company. You know, he, I was hoping that he held on to the title going into Mania. You know, they could have dealt with that IC title issue after the pay-per-view, I had hoped. You know, let him stay IC champ, but. We, we later found out why and what the plan was. So after the fa- <clears throat> match at Fastlane happens and, of course, Dean Ambrose is pinned by Roman Reigns. So what's the next best <laughs> thing that can happen? You know, Reigns is going to face Triple H at Mania. Ambrose is going to challenge no. Brock
0: Lesnar. No, I, I, I want a I, I drink to blank this out. God, <laughs> You so, want to so, so, blank this out of your memory entirely. I, I really, really do. So, folks, I, you, as we mentioned before, this was – I've only been to one WrestleMania. I've been very fortunate to go to to a WrestleMania. And timing-wise for me personally, this was the best time to do it. My wife um, you know, would be pregnant with our second child. I had some extra – I shouldn't say extra money, but I came into a good chunk of change at the time. Figured it's a bucket list thing. They were doing it in Dallas. It was the one that, you know, the AT&T Stadium, 100,000 people might as well go to this Wrestlemania not knowing the
1: stars events. aligned perfectly
0: yeah the stars were off by about theoretically yeah yeah. The, the, the straight line was a pretty fucking curve like it was it was pretty off um, in hindsight yes but yeah, the, the straight lines of fucking figure up until eight so you point.
1: purchased the tickets everything lined up I well,
0: got the tickets at like October but anyway the, the perfect line was now a figure eight at this point and uh, the, one of the biggest matches that they were that they built was this Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose match now you have to understand something folks the reason that people were so I, I, or I have a theory I think there's two reasons why people were so mad about this match number one was the match was so-so I actually went back and watched it and it was honestly a so-so match it was not I mean it's a Brock Lesnar match but the biggest problem it's not a was, no holds
1: barred match that's the thing it really isn't
0: Well, it's not just that they hyped up this so much with so many different promos and vignettes with weeks with
1: returning stars from hardcore legends, you know, like Mick Foley. And and, oh, my God, they had so many people return to give yeah, Terry, Terry Funk. A, can, you know. Terry
0: Funk gave him a chainsaw. And listen, I understand that like, pe- <laughs> that, like people, I understand that WWE is a PG product and all that stuff, and that they, they were probably limited in terms of what they could do. But for God's sakes, they barely even like scratched the surface of what they could have done with this match. I'm not even so much about upset at, like Dean losing. It's just that the match you, they put so much hype into this that it did not. The li- like, WWE created up their own hype if if they didn't do those vignettes with like Foley and Funk I don't think people would be not as pissed off as the match was but they made it sound like oh man the John Moxley that you saw from CZW the one that we were just talking about that in the same show that one's going to come out and he's going to he's going to fuck Lesnar up
1: And that's exactly how they booked Dean going into this. He looked like a true psychopath. You know, there's a literary concept that I bring up every now and again, and WWE seems to not know how to use it themselves. It's called Chekhov's gun. It's a concept that basically says that every element of a story should contribute to the whole of itself. So it comes from Anton Chekhov's famous book uh, about writing advice. And he says, if in the first act you have a pistol hung on the wall and you bring attention to it, and in the following, you know, the following or final act, that pistol should be fired. And that was the problem with the build to mania. They showed heavy, heavy emphasis on these specific weapons and the importance behind them. The chainsaw, the barbed wire bat, you know, just all the build up to what Ambrose had brought out, you know, with Him and the Ambrose Asylum and what he was going to do to Lesnar and nothing came to fruition. Nothing was used. They teased it over and over, but nothing of note happened. And the fans were so bloodthirsty due to WWE's, you know, (laughs) basically poising it that way that the fans were in a position to just boo That's what it came down to. Now we heard later on uh, when, when Dean was WWE champion on the stone cold podcast, that it was in fact, Lesnar not wanting to go with any of the plans Dean had, didn't want to play ball, didn't even really want to be involved in the match whatsoever, which is wholly unfortunate. I, I, if that was the case, I wish the bout never even happened. They should have just kept the IC title on Dean, as I mentioned before, but, You know, we hear that that Ambrose, and we heard it then, too, before Dean was ever on the Stone Cold podcast, that Dean had dozens of ideas, and he had no problem with losing either. He just wanted to pull off a fantastic, hardcore match, in essence, and Lesnar refused. So,
0: Yep. All right, we got through that. Very disappointing, especially for you in person. I mean, I think 32 in general. It's disappointing. <laughs> let's let's be <laughs> so, real here.
1: Yeah. And and, and leading, you know, it, it's just, I, I know we, we skipped around a little bit, but uh, we, we forgot to mention the fact that, you know, we jumped right into the match here with, with uh, Brock Lesnar. But going right before this, they had a network special called Roadblock in which Triple H was challenged by Dean Ambrose and Triple H accepted and Ambrose narrowly won the match. Essentially, he did, didn't he? Didn't he? But Triple H's foot was under the rope. Like, wasn't that the issue?
0: Um, I think you're right. Let me let me take a look at this real like, quick. I, I could have sworn right.
1: they had some type of of issue where the ref said, "Oh, Triple H's foot was underneath the rope," and when they kept replaying yes. it, you know, for the Am- finish. No, no, Ambrose's foot was under. Or under Ambrose's the rope. foot was under the rope. Okay, and, and yep. that was the issue for when he pinned triple h so the whole thing was you know really poorly executed it it was a good story they just they didn't nail the finish right because you could see it in the replay that it just that wasn't the case you know they they, they should have (laughs) edited the footage if they really wanted to sell that afterwards because people in attendance could see photos were shared you could see that that just wasn't what really happened that was the main issue. The, the the idea behind it was very interesting, but unfortunately, the execution was piss poor. And then, of course, we get into the WrestleMania match itself. So Dean just suffering so many losses back to back again. And now he begins a rivalry with Chris Jericho following WrestleMania 32. So he defeats Jericho at the payback pay-per-view in a normal match. And then in Extreme Rules, uh, he ends up developing a new type of match called the Ambrose Asylum, or better known as the Asylum Match, which is a steel cage match with weapons hanging above the cage and a stipulation where you you were not allowed to escape from the cage, and or else you you know basically you were you were deemed uh, not victorious if you escaped. So, so the I, only I, way to win was through pinfall or submission.
0: So I remember this very vividly because no one in their effing mind knew what the hell an Ambrose Asylum match was and i don't even think they like properly explained it until either the pay-per-view or like the raw before like the, i remember like going into it yeah it, like it was really- the go home
1: show where they finally kind of nailed down some of these stipulations involved and, I- and the thing was the build to this was <laughs> amusing to say the least but they were fighting essentially over a potted plant you know that was, oh, yeah.
0: that was mitch mitch, mitch yeah. the
1: potted plant, yeah. long, long live mitch, rest in pieces, but the the, so.
0: thing, the thing um, the thing that i um the thing that I was kinda i I could have sworn I, I was looking back, and it's not the case, but I thought it was something like you couldn't escape the cage unless you used all the weapons or some sort of crazy crap like that, but um, that's not the case, you couldn't escape the cage, but yeah, I just remember it being like. Eh, okay, cool. Couple weapons here, but then at the very end, they did the thumbtacks. I remember the very last spot was the best yeah, one. Yeah, and yeah.
1: Jericho took a hell of a bump onto the thumbtacks. So was
0: that the main event?
1: Uh not no, the, no, no. It was no. Uh,
0: Roman and AJ. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was Roman and AJ. The yeah. Championship.
1: So from here, uh, Ambrose qualifies for the Money in the Bank ladder match by defeating Dolph Ziggler and. Uh, he would go on to actually win the Money in the Bank ladder match. And then at the same night, he would cash in his briefcase and quickly defeat Rollins, who had just defeated Reigns to win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship for the first time. And this is as Rollins is returning as well.
0: So, I mean, it's all kind of coinciding here. It's interesting that literally in one night, the Shield all held the WWE Championship. Crazy, huh?
1: unexpected
0: in <laughs> hell of a swerve um i think that's well, for sure well the, the thing was i i was this before this was oh no this was during the roman reigns like uh he got suspended right
1: yes he violated the wellness policy but so. this
0: was he was he violated the wellness policy before losing the title
1: yes so yeah, this yeah. was his punishment and then he was going to be suspended for 30 days Right. So what they did was they held him off TV during those 30 days to make it look like he wasn't actually suspended.
0: Right. That that was the big because I think that, I remember a lot of people being upset. About like, well, they should have just dropped the title. It's like, well, eh. and then it just happened to work out because obviously the rematch. Yeah, because range
1: just back. wasn't around. So he didn't have to get suspended on TV. He was just, you know, in kayfabe, he was fine. But in. In all reality he was suffering from the wellness policy violation so that's why he and the big speculation was did they know beforehand or not you know did they know far in advance but and just held off on making it public so that he could defend the title at money in the bank it was it was a real big kerfuffle with that so and now dean obviously is the new WWE world heavyweight champion he makes his first title defense against rollins On the July 18th episode of Raw, their match ends in a double pinfall, so he does retain. And then the following night is the WWE draft. Ambrose was drafted to SmackDown, being the brand's first draft pick and bringing the WWE championship with him. That same night, he pinned Rollins to retain the title as well, so he defended it once more successfully. Thankfully, with him going to SmackDown, this would abruptly and quickly end the feud between him and Rollins once again.
0: So the thing that I was I was kind of perplexed about was um Rollins was the first draft pick, right? For Raw, and he was the first draft pick overall. What the f why why did they not draft the WWE champion? I mean, I just I, I don't get why he was I
1: not know, I've him. wondered that myself. And I mean so we we, we heard now that Vince avoids the word draft Entirely because he feels like it's too based in reality with, and he wants to be more sports entertainment than sports. So that's why he sticks with shake up, and shaking up is only changing, well, uh, you know, members, not champions.
0: I just meant logically why the hell they didn't draft the WWE champion first.
1: Yeah, I know. It, it, <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> you, would, but, you would figure, but yeah, hey,
0: yeah, eh, kayfabe's dad Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Really. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember they did the. They, know, did, uh, the oh, sorry, God.
1: No, no, no. That, go ahead, absolutely.
0: I was just gonna say that I remember they did the triple threat at Battleground because I remember that yeah. obviously Reigns and Rollins were both on Raw and and uh, uh, Dean was on SmackDown, so they had all the GMs and the owners at, at ringside. And I remember like the SmackDown roster like lo- like emptied out when Reigns, uh when ah, God when Ambrose retained. I can't talk now; it's contagious. Um, <laughs> and, and then leading on to you're right, like kind of like finally getting him away from the Shield, which I thought was the smartest move. Uh, but then his title matches weren't that no. Stellar. This, this
1: this title reign was not great. Unfortunately, I mean, as we said, his his defense against Dolph at SummerSlam was nothing notable. Then at Backlash, he ends up losing the title to AJ Styles after being hit with a low blow while the referee was taken out. And then Ambrose was again unsuccessful in regaining the title at No Mercy in October in a triple threat match also involving John Cena, who was pinned by AJ Styles. Then we move on to November. Ambrose teamed with Styles, go figure, as a part of Team SmackDown at Survivor Series alongside Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, and Shane McMahon, and they would go on to win. Uh, for Team SmackDown, and that was part of the problem that so many people had with you know the brand versus brand thing. You just saw these two killing each other in a in a vicious title feud. You know they had two headlining pay per view matches, and now you have them teaming together in brand unity. <laughs> just yeah. really really was a, a silly thing that didn't work. So uh, then he would go on to face Styles in a TLC match at TLC. For the WWE title during the match, James Ellsworth interfered and pushed Ambrose off of the ladder through multiple tables, allowing AJ Styles to retain hell of a hell of a spot, not a great match, but the spot of Dean going through all those tables was brutal. Yeah, it was fun. very, yeah. very effective. Definitely a fun spot to see Ambrose would then fail to become uh once again, the number one contender for the title, you know, in a fatal four way elimination match involving Dolph Ziggler, Luke Harper and the Miz.
0: And that was so, Dean's title reign, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and actually that his, was his, it. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Cause he never, Nope. He never goes to the championship again.
1: His only title reign. So yeah, not memorable at all. You figure he had the successful defenses against Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns and Dolph Ziggler, but that was it. And, you know, not even a full two months of successful defenses, Followed by the imminent loss to AJ Styles, not a not a great run for Mister Ambrose there. No,
0: but no. I, th- I think that you know despite him not having a stellar WWE Championship run, um and like I said, not horrible, but not the greatest either. I think honestly, you know, despite the 351 reign as U.S. champion, I think his IC title runs have been pretty decent. Uh, case in point. Yeah, I've always viewed
1: him more as an Intercontinental Champion. And, you know, January 3rd, we're now in 2017, he defeats The Miz in a fantastic match to win the Intercontinental Championship for the second time. This is on SmackDown, by the way, too. This is on one of the top lists that I have. Great match here. Excellent. Uh, a A lot of close calls, false finishes. Very well executed between both men. Really at the top of their game at this point in time. So certainly one to check out. Ambrose is then in the Royal Rumble match. He lasted 27 minutes before being eliminated by Lesnar. (laughs) They kind of harkened back to their old feud a little bit there. Yeah, the irony is sweet. uh, He went and uh, Ambrose took part in the WWE Championship uh, Chamber match at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. He eliminated Baron Corbin with a roll-up, which is why we still call him Fruit Roll-Up. And (laughs) Corbin later attacked him afterwards, allowing Miz to eliminate Ambrose. So, a match was set between Ambrose and Corbin at WrestleMania 33 on April 2nd. Ambrose retained his Intercontinental Championship, and it was not a good match whatsoever, unfortunately. Left a lot to be desired. uh, Even on paper, people groaned about this match happening. Thank God it was on the pre-show. I know, and and such a disappointment for Dean being relegated to the pre-show just because he was involved with Mr. Fruit Roll-Up, so...
0: Yeah, well, hey, but you know what though? I mean, given the match, eek, but um, but we'd see them kind of feuding a little bit, a couple more times, um, going on to sma- going towards the uh, end of this one, and then of course, uh, following that, we see Ambrose be part of the superstar shakeup of 2017, and he takes the Intercontinental Championship with him over back to so, Raw.
1: So first the draft, he brings the WWE Championship over to SmackDown. Now he brings the I.C. title to Raw in the shakeup. Following, he's just good about moving those belts.
0: Seriously. Oh, by the way, fun fact, uh, supposedly the rumor wa- or the, the, the legend goes that originally the Universal Championship was supposed to be on SmackDown. Um, but because of the Roman Reigns situation, they had to restructure things, and so the WWE title went to SmackDown, and the Universal title went to Raw. But originally, the plan was that the WWE title would stay on Raw, and SmackDown would receive what eventually would become the Universal Championship. Imagine that being a blue, blue raspberry fruit roll-up looking belt.
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, <laughs> really? I
0: probably wouldn't be that bad. I, honestly, you know, it's funny when they when they introduced that championship, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, in future episodes. I didn't. I, we all hated it, but now. Don't mind it as much.
1: I don't mind it as much either. I mean, it, it, it's something that's grown on me for sure. But then it was more of an issue, certainly. In hindsight, it, it's not as offensive though. No, but um... and in and, and hindsight too. I mean, you look at the 2017 year that Dean had. I mean, you hear another quote from Wrestling Observer saying that to this point Ambrose had lost every big match he had you know, with Rollins, Wyatt, Reigns, Triple H, Lesnar, everybody got their hands raised at the end. We already knew that Dean Ambrose had the ability to be the biggest star, not just of the Shield, but in the company. And then you see him get this title cash in. We're like, oh my God, it's happening. They're doing it. They're they're finally gonna oh wait. Here comes AJ Styles. And it was just such a disappointment yet again. Even though he he was able to go on and get the WWE you know Intercontinental Championship later on. It just it didn't have the same feel to it.
0: No. I, I, you feel, know? Like, I feel like Vince had ADD with him. It just was him. underwhelming. <laughs> yeah. I think Vince maybe had ADD with him as far as title reigns. Yeah, I don't know why you doing that. Ah, Let's move it on and on.
1: Yeah. And you feel, you know, we, we get the shakeup to happen. The Miz is also drafted to Raw, and at Extreme Rules in June, he loses to The Miz in an IC title defense, ending his 152-day reign. So, I mean, yet again, there it goes out the window, and it, it, you can see at this point in time, it, it almost seems like Dean's kind of losing his smile, you know, for lack of a better term, and we'll, we'll use that from good old HBK, but it works in so many levels here. Right. You see him putting less into his performances, less into his promos, he's kind of just a body. For quite a while, I feel like, until the Shield reunites once again, I feel like he's just a body. He goes through the motions, he comes out, he does his thing, and he leaves. He's not really animated like he used to be. He's not giving you the crazy, wild, kooky faces. He's, you know, not walking with any such swagger. He's barely speaking on the microphone, and when he does, he's he's uh, kind of just droning on and mumbling a bit and spitting out his lines. He just isn't that wild, zany, effervescent, you know, character that we once fell in love with. And it's really unfortunate that, it, you know, they, they <laughs> basically, you know, corporatized him into nothingness. So uh, from here, he continues the feud with the Miz, like we said, and at great balls of fire, he lost via interference by the Taraj, which seems to be a common factor. So for the Undertaker, it was, you know, we saw them go down that well with him, you know, always getting taken out and attacked with, with, Dean, it seems to be outside interference, has his number.
0: (laughs) Seriously. Uh,
1: Ambrose here reconciles with former stablemate and rival Seth Rollins. Together they defeat Cesaro and Sheamus at SummerSlam to win the Raw Tag Team Championship, making Ambrose both a Triple Crown and Grand Slam champion in the process. So good on him there.
0: That's right,
1: yeah. And then they defend the titles against the same duo at No Mercy in September, and Ambrose pinned Sheamus to go on and retain. So now we get to October 9th episode of Raw, and they reunite with Roman Reigns. It was a really cool reuniting, you know, of of the Shield here. I do give them credit for that, you know, seeing them come out one by one. The newly reformed Shield was due to face uh, the team of Braun Strowman, Cesaro, Kane, The Miz, and Sheamus at TLC in a five-on-three
0: handicap TLC match. Can you, you read that match one more time? Because they just l- listen to how like, <laughs> fucking stacked that thing is. For I better know. or for worse, listen to this again one more time.
1: It is the team of the Shield. Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns taking on Braun Strowman, Cesaro, Kane, The Miz, and Sheamus in a tables, ladders, and chairs <laughs> match. I mean, my God, at TLC, five-on-three handicap. And and unfortunately, I, I still say unfortunately, it was fun to have the replacement, but uh, both Bray Wyatt and Roman Reigns suffer a rare illness. I believe it was the mumps and yes. while overseas. So Reigns had to be replaced by Kurt Angle. Now, it was fun to see Kurt be in this match, granted, but I still wish that Roman got to uh, be in this. You know, I like seeing... Him, you know, Angle be uh, an honorary member of the Shield, granted, but I felt like it was better, would have been better service for the match overall if Reigns was there.
0: I do love, there's that image of. When they're coming down through the ram- or it's coming down through the crowd and you have yeah. Seth and Dean in front, and Angles just got this big shit eating grin on his face.
1: He and- looks so happy. The other two are so serious. Dean looks so menacing. Like- Seth it looks so determined. <laughs> and like- Kurt is just smiling, like you said, ear to ear, big shit eating grin. It's like bring your grandfather to work day. No, it's like, like-
0: <laughs> it's like when- it's like when-, when-, when you're when you finally let your little brother or sister play with you <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes that's exactly it you know Yay, like, I'm sure to- you <laughs> can come in the fort <laughs> you can come in the fort just this time
0: oh that that's, uh, the that's match perfect. was
1: a car wreck but in all the all the right ways i mean so many weapons used and it just all over the place pulling chairs down trash compactors involved i mean it was all over the place Definitely something you should check out. It didn't make any top list, but I suggest you do go back and see this if you have not. And even if you haven't seen it in a while, it was still worth revisiting. We we checked it out on our uh, build-up to this retrospective. So Ambrose and Rollins, you know, and, and <laughs> Kurt are victorious here. And it, it was it was a fun match to say the least. Now Ambrose and Rollins were scheduled to face the SmackDown tag team champions, the Usos, in an interbrand match at Survivor Series, so Raw versus SmackDown. But they lost the tag titles back to Cesaro and Sheamus on the November sixth episode of Raw, after a dismact, uh, distraction from the the New Day. So that's when you know it's happening. It's happening. You know, <laughs> we, we had uh, you know the the entire. Smackdown roster invade the raw set and cause quite the ruckus. So that ended their seventy-eight day title reign. And this would lead to a match instead between the Shield and the New Day.
0: This was another uh, fun one. Yeah, this, this, this another
1: is another one. Not on any of my top list. I believe it was a runner-up on on the fan one, Damn but me. certainly one that is worth checking out. Later in December, Ambrose suffers a severely separated tricep and multiple injury to his tricep, reportedly rendering him out of action for nine months. Now, Also here, he would suffer a debilitating staph infection that yeah, almost was, cost yeah.
0: him his life in the process. I was going to mention that. Yeah, that didn't come out until uh, a couple of months after he came back. And it's just like you, you didn't take into consideration like the severity of like, that's f- fucked up. Um like I was, suffered from a staff infection
1: myself. I almost died uh, the day after my daughter's birthday. I I know firsthand how horrendous those are. I okay. was in the hospital initially for ninety days. Spent the entire summer in the hospital. Went home for seven days and then was back in the hospital for forty five.
0: I mean, that uh, uh, like the severity of that is just under like, like it's it's
1: it's. I mean, I didn't know it, but a few weeks back they had staff survivor week and I was like, you know, staff infection survivor uh, week where they're talking about the dangers of it and how easy it is to, you know, be succumbed to the side effects and everything. I mean, I woke up with 106.5 degree fever. I, I don't remember much of like the first 20 days, really. The only thing I remember is waking up, I got to the hospital via ambulance and then I woke up. Once to ask where my daughter was, and then I woke up in the room. And when I was in the actual admittance room, I woke up and I saw people in like the CDC type gear. Uh, pretty pretty much like from the site of uh, ET. You know, people have those those big biohazard suits on. That's what it reminded me of, like the you know the moment from ET where Elliot is in the you know the 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 quarantine tube. Fuck yeah, I freaked out. I th- I felt like I was being abducted by aliens. But, you know, you know all the medicine they had given me and stuff like that. <laughs> I had no idea where I was, and I woke up just to see people in these huge hazmat suits around me taking blood. It was a uh, scary, friggin' sight. And come to find out, because they, they didn't know what I had for an infection at first, so they had to run me through all these infectious disease protocols first. Yeah, to make I sure I wasn't contagious. So I was in isolation and. It was a nightmare, you know, but for him to go through something similar to that, and I, I heard more after the fact, my God, I mean, it, it, it can kill you very quickly, and for him to suffer through all that, uh, I'm just, I'm happy that he made it and was able to return to wrestling, so it's it's a hell of a thing to endure, and we wouldn't see him for quite some time. It, it took uh, quite a while for, you know, for Dean to return, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, again... We didn't really hear much about this until after he came back. I think they, they did like a special on him or something, but like the severity was just absolutely nuts. But when he yeah, you s-
1: figured December he was out, we didn't see him again, what till raw in
0: August? Yeah, Summer, I yeah. mean right before SummerSlam, basically. And when he came back, he came back and he looked like he jacked.
1: Yeah, he looked incredible. Shorter hair, uh, you know, just just Total physique and body change. He looked the best that he's ever looked, in my
0: opinion. Yeah, I total
1: mean, total overhaul.
0: Sad to say, that might be because of the staff infection. But I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: no yeah, kidding, but. but-
0: yeah, but anyway, he would go back right to teaming with Seth Rollins once again, and of course, helping him uh assist in helping Rollins win the Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam. And then he aided um, you know, aided Reigns in attacking Braun Strowman when Braun tried to cash in the money in the bank briefcase. And then I, I don't know if you remember this how like crazy this was. Hell in a cell, it was Braun versus Roman for the Universal Championship, and uh <laughs> Uh, Ziggler McIntyre tried to interfere. Dean and Seth tried to interfere and it was just absolute and chaos and anarchy which would ultimately lead to Brock Lesnar interfering in the Hell in a Cell and just them throwing the match out.
1: What the hell? Yeah, I mean total chaos. Just absolute total chaos. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> They would go on to have a six-man tag with Ziggler, McIntyre, and Strowman against the Shield at Super Showdown in Melbourne, and then, of course, had a rematch. And then, of course, after that match, a once again frustrated Dean Ambrose walks away from his teammates. But I'm sure that's not going to lead to any sort of problems.
1: No, no, uh, no, no, no problems. The Shield is fine,
0: except ex- <laughs> except not too long after. Shield. Shield well, club is fine. Well, well 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 wait a minute because this is right when Roman Reigns is announced. Oh, wait.
1: Maybe they're not fine. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, real life creeps up on the on the, you know, plans of the WWE and Roman Reigns has to announce that he is suffering from leukemia once again. He's been in remission for quite a long time and uh, unfortunately has to go and take some time off and, you know, deal with his illness. By and relinquish I, I, the universal championship. So.
0: By, by the way, I wasn't laughing at like I didn't realize that this was the time that Reigns announced his announcement. I was like, "Oh, I'm laughing because this is when Dean portrays Seth," and it's like, it, "Oh shit, this is also that same time that
1: happened. <laughs> we saw this before."
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck. So yeah, exactly you this know, time, you, this Bullet time, Club
1: is fine. Shield Club is fine. Yeah, you know, so, it's, it's uh, all fine.
0: So this this was an interesting one because I remember how like perplexed I was because. Dean turns on Seth, but Dean turned on Seth after they won the tag team titles.
1: The same time that Roman relinquishes the universal title to go and fight a, you know, a battle against leukemia, it could not have been a more yep. heartfelt, promising, feel-good moment for the two-third remaining members of the Shield to to win the tag team titles in honor of their you know fallen comrade only for <laughs> dean to turn on seth and become the villain for the first time since uh, you know really uh march of 2014 back when they originally debuted in the shield so yep we uh didn't really get any justification or answers the next week so it took two weeks to get this going but ambrose attacked rollins again after he, The latter lost the tag titles in the handicap match against Acom and Razor, who had recently debuted as well from NXT. So the following week, Ambrose burned his shield vest and gear and explained that being part of the group had made him weak. And he would then continue to taunt Rollins over and over the following weeks by stalking him, getting vaccinated against what he perceived to be Rollins illnesses and ordering his own personal SWAT team who came out, you know, in like an infectious disease, gas mask and whatnot garb to attack Rollins. And he proclaimed. Uh, proclaimed himself as the moral compass of the wwe so ambrose defeated rollins at tlc beginning his third ic title reign as well that match
0: was horrendous do you remember that
1: such a bad match really disappointing vince was thoroughly disappointed in this as well vince was really mad at these two for putting on such a shit show apparently there was a lot of backstage turmoil after this match with how angry vince was with both of them.
0: This was just a... I mean, it's funny because, you know, at this point, I remember a lot of people were complaining about pay-per-view matches in general. And I think this is one of the matches that everyone was kind of like looking forward to and ended up being probably one of the worst ones on the entire card, which really sucked. But um, it was even worse was, again, this is this is December of, of 2018, right? Or, uh, yeah, around the end of 2018. Yeah. And this is kind of when you know, we're not too far away from where we are now. We're, you know, It's now May, May 3rd because it rolled over to the early morning now. Um, you know, this is only about five months ago. And so now yeah. you start to see Ambrose really not featured prominently in a whole lot because I think it was at this time that the rumors were starting that he was looking to probably not renew his contract.
1: He's not happy at all. We've heard with how everything played out with his heel turn. Um, we we saw that his heel turn did not last either. I mean, essentially, he only held the title for twenty nine days. Uh, he you know lost the championship to Bobby Lashley in a triple threat on January fourteenth of twenty nineteen, also involving Rollins. Um, he would enter the Royal Rumble, but was eliminated by Aleister Black. And then yep. the following night, he interrupted. Royal Rumble winner Rollins and Triple H proclaiming that Rollins never defeated him clean without interfering or provoking you know without interference and then he provoked Triple H into booking the match and then Ambrose lost clean quickly and then from there uh, he attempted to address the crowd and was interrupted by Nia Jackson Tamina which was really bizarre you know <laughs> yes. he decided to leave rather than get you know get any revenge on either one of them which I wish he did I wish he just
0: I know they could add so dirty good. deeds
1: them to hell but Uh, it was after Raw went off the air that night that it was reported that Ambrose had informed officials that he would not be renewing his contract and would be leaving the company shortly after WrestleMania 35. You know, his contract would end at midnight on, you know, going into May 1st, 2019, two nights ago. And they apparently offered him quite the improved contract, more money, less dates, um, some minor character freedoms we had heard. But he turned it down due to longstanding frustration with the creative dire- uh, direction of his character and a dislike of the hokey material he had been given. And I, I can't blame him at all whatsoever. He, he really went from, he had this great heel turn. One of the best we've seen in a long time as far as betrayals go. I mean, real life circumstances aside, even even if Roman didn't, admit he had leukemia it would have been a good heel turn but that on top was so devastating to see fans were crying in attendance crying you don't get that kind of reaction nowadays for anything
0: i mean he evoked
1: such emotion and anger and heartache it was fantastic and he got to do nothing with it nothing at all he said for so long he wanted to bring back a form of the moxie character you know he wanted to hearken back to his hardcore days and he wanted to go ahead and, and really get to be the bad guy. And he was getting none of that. And they turned on his heel turn so quickly by having him go in the back and basically, you know, wash it all away. He was standing next to Seth and said, oh, how come you didn't help me before? You know, someone he, he had <laughs> been attacked by. Yeah. And I laughed at that because that was the lunatic fringe I wish we had all along. You know, someone that was so absent-minded and in his own world that nothing <laughs> mattered to him you know there there were no consequences to his actions that's what we should have been getting but what would he have had to have been happy about he just survived a a near fatal illness after suffering major you know surgery and does all this work to make sure he comes back to wrestle and continue his career just to to be cast aside for nothing
0: yeah I, i mean and we'll we'll get to this when we get to it. I mean, we're almost at the end of this part anyway. But with his with this with his career, but I think generally speaking, and this is something we were talking about thing off the air before when we decided we we're going to do Dean Ambrose was that, you know, we never got, we never got in WWE the version of Dean Ambrose that we were. I think everyone was hoping for in the John Moxley character indies. I'm not even talking about like the ultra violent stuff. You know, the ultra violent stuff is understandable because WB be is such a PG product, but we never we never truly got that John Moxley like anarchist. You know, a the lot
1: attitude, of we, the psychology, the sadistic, never. yeah, we never crude, crass, no consequences. Individual that he could be. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many amazing promos on YouTube, like I said, of him getting drunk and, and claiming himself to be the prince of the death match while singing Sweet Caroline in the stands to taunt his opponent in the ring. And he would change the lyrics, like, you know, to to belittle whoever he was facing, things like that. Or him going ahead and, and grabbing the mic and and just tearing the house down. He, he could make everybody succumb to his whim. You know, at a moment's notice, just because of how good he was on the mic, he was so charismatic and so unique. I mean, he he had kind of like a a serial killer vibe with how charismatic he was. You know, he was able to convince people to believe whatever he had to say. They never utilized those powers with him. We never even got to really see a glimpse of that because they had an idea that they wanted him to run with. And that was all he was allowed to do.
0: Yeah. And so I think that's really... I know I'm skipping ahead of here, as far as like the legacy of him, but I mean that that's pretty much. I don't blame him. I don't. And the thing is, when everyone heard the the rumor at this time of, you know, heard heard the rumor that the, that he wanted to leave, um, no one was like, well, I don't think anyone's like, well, no, nah, he shouldn't. I mean, I think everyone had the same opinion of I don't blame him, and we don't. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know? I how can you blame him? He wanted creative control. They didn't give him that. So at Fastlane, the Shield. Reunites, you know, not long before that, and they defeat the team of McIntyre, Lashley, and Corbin. This was essentially touted as the Shield's last ride, and unfortunately, <laughs> that wasn't deemed to be true. They they acted as such, but the following night in Raw, Ambrose faced off against McIntyre in a false Count Anywhere match, which he lost. He went on to lose several matches past that, some against Elias, some against EC3. You know, he, he just went ahead and put a few people over along the way, and he had a really great Falls Count Anywhere match with McIntyre with a fantastic finish, uh, you know, that I, I really enjoyed. And uh, it was April 8th. Ambrose was scheduled to face Lashley in what was billed as his last match on Raw. However, the match never took place as Lashley insulted Ambrose's wife, resulting in a brawl and ending with Ambrose being slammed to the announce table. After Raw went off the air, Ambrose was joined by Rollins and Reigns to address the fans and thank them for their support and comment on his past accomplishments. And then the following week on Raw, he made an appearance after the show went off the air. And then as of April 21st, you know, they had the Shields final chapter, which was a live house show where they teamed up for one last match and defeated the team of Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre one final time. And then he waited a few days for his contract to end. And then on May 1st at midnight, John Moxley, using his old Dean Ambrose account that he never tweeted from, sent out a very cryptic video on Twitter promoting the return of John Moxley.
0: Oof. Well, that pretty much sums it up right there.
1: Um, yeah that gets us right to you know where we are now is is uh, <laughs> yeah unknown as of yet a lot of people seem to think it would be AEW I, I thought so as well but apparently he's only signing with indie promotions we heard today and that he wants to you know just sign with with several small indie developments and do nothing long term at this point in time so no matter what we will see John Moxley return I'm just curious to see what and where you know you look at Ooh. some of the stats things that we have with him i mean he was involved in 72 pay-per-view matches with the wwe 29 of those were main events whether it be with the shield or solo
0: right so i you mean know, so you know, a lot,
1: lot to consider there but
0: right and i think you know kind of you know recapping everything like i just mentioned right beforehand uh before we did that little tail end end was i think generally um as far as his wwe run is exactly that like we never got to see the true um, potential. I think of 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 Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley. I think that we got tastes of it here and there. And again, I'm not even saying like the hardcore stuff. There was ways you could have easily gone around that, but there were so many, you know, um, there were so many missed opportunities. I think, or just they, you know, they didn't book right things, whatever the case may be, um. Could Dean Ambrose have been a solid main event player? I think he could have. I think he could have been a very. I I think he could have been a better champion. But I think that the circumstance. I I think that that title reign, right? I think that you know he won the championship, right? He he cashed in. I think that was partly a, you know, reaction to the Roman Reigns situation. Held the belt, brought it to SmackDown again, part of the Roman Reigns situation. And then once he had that match with Dolph at SummerSlam, it was like. That being said, though, I think he had a. I had a. I think he had a they stellar. Yeah, I think he had a stellar run as IC champ. No questions asked about that. I think he was a very, very good workhorse for that championship. Um, I just think that whether it was creative, either didn't care or didn't want to, or just changed their mind. But I felt like they, I feel like there was times that you could tell they were on board with him, which was very, very rare. But other times where they just either didn't know or didn't care what to do with him.
1: Yeah. And that was a a unfortunate issue. You know, I mean, when you look onto his, his actual stats, 60% of all of his matches, he won. But when you go through the history, like we did, it certainly feels like he he lost 90% of them, it feels. And that's just unfortunately by the way he was booked. I mean, he wrestled a, a total of 610 wins and 361 losses. Uh, Thirty-two of which, have both combined, were draws. So I mean, it's almost a thousand matches in WWE alone. Yep. So he's got sixty percent wins here, and it really feels like that's the reverse of it all. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't feel like he won that many, just by the way that he was constantly booked to lose so many in in succession. They say yeah. wins and losses don't matter, but it it does affect one's character. You know, when when you lose that often in in that caliber of a match, if you win all year long but then you lose at Mania, that follows you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the other part of it, too, is that I think when Ambrose was the hottest, they didn't capitalize on much as it is. But, you know, again, looking at his accomplishments inside WWE, you have him as, you know, Slammy Award winner, Money in the Bank 2016 winner, uh, the eighth Grand Slam champion, 27th Triple Crown champion, a one-time U.S. champion reigning at 351 days, two-time Raw Tag Team champion, three-time Intercontinental, and a one-time WWE champion he also did win uh breakout star of the year faction of the year trending now best reunion uh and return of the year uh for pro wrestling illustrated he won feud of the year 2014 with seth rollins which we talked about earlier uh most popular wrestler of 2014 and 2015 uh, and also ranked number eight into the top 500 singles wrestlers for pwi's 500 in 2017 not to mention obviously his czw world title uh, accomplishment plus obviously we mentioned earlier his um his Heartland Wrestling Association days FIP world title. So he's he's got a decent going for him. And the thing is again, he's only 33. And yeah, way- he has
1: so much more to give to the to the fans to the company. And, you know, there's so much that he's done before he ever made it to WWE that people are just now getting into. Right. And that's why I said before, you know, with those top five matches, there's so much more than that to check out. But I, I highly stress. That those of you that only know him as Dean Ambrose, to go check out the work of John Moxley, there's a lot on YouTube that you can delve into. And as far as Dean goes, I mean, the top five matches, as per critics, whether it be star ratings or uh, critics being polled, you know, those are people in the, in the YWC and IWC. Number five is the Shield versus the Wyatt family on Raw, as we mentioned before. Number four is Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins versus Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler for the Raw Tag Team Titles at Hell in a Cell 2018. That was good. Number three is Dean versus Kevin Owens, their last man standing match for the IC title at the Royal Rumble 2016. Hmm. And that was that was a really good match. Honorable mention here is Triple H uh, versus Dean at Roadblock 2016, which I agree with as well. But
0: Yeah, that was better than we thought.
1: Yeah, they say that Ambrose's brawling uh, frantic energy and improvisational skills is a perfect fit for matches like this one against Kevin Owens, because Owens is more of a brawler, and Ambrose survived attacks with chairs, tables, stairs, and Kevin's Owen, uh, Kevin Owens' pop-up powerbomb to put Owens through two tables, adding an exclamation point to this icy title defense. So, you know, that's that's uh, number three and another great one to check out. Number two, they say, is Dean Ambrose versus AJ Styles for the WWE Championship at Backlash, hmm. which surprised me that that was on the list. And no, number they, one...
0: They had, some, they had some good matches between the two of them. They,
1: yeah, I mean, they did, but I was just surprised that that was, up
0: you there. know, as far as
1: critics go, up there. And number one was Dean Ambrose versus Alberto Del Rio, Chris Jericho, Cesaro, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn for Money in the Bank 2016.
0: The one he won, okay. Yeah, so when he won the Money in the Bank match, so again,
1: a bit of a surprise there. They also say to to tie into that, his cashing in later in the night. So I can see why right. that's number one. But yeah, and as far as fans uh, go, the list is is a bit more Shield heavy. But right. number ten is him and Dean, or excuse me, Dean and Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at Fastlane 2016.
0: I was about to say but if you said 10, if you. I was about to say, if you said freaking Dean and Brock at WrestleMania, I was going to kill you.
1: <laughs> I wanted to get you nervous for a second. Number Still. nine is Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt at TLC 2014. Hmm. So that was a really fun TLC match. It had a it was a continuation of the feud, at, which started two months prior, and Ambrose ended the match with an elbow drop—not one, not two, but three ladders—and that was the highlight of the match. You know, right, right. If it continues to load, excuse me. Uh, number eight is the Shield versus the New Day at Survivor Series. We talked about this one in length before, saying that it was a very, you know, definition of a hot opener. The crowd were extremely excited for both teams. The pacing of the match was really nice, and it was a great way to kick off SmackDown versus Raw's Survivor Series pay-per-views. So. Yeah,
0: that one. I, I mean, on paper, that one sounds fantastic, but that one I think blew away my expectations. I mean, again, on paper, it's not like are like, oh, yeah, man, have a bad match, well. but like, holy shit.
1: It was very surprising, not not what I was expecting from those two. I mean, on paper you're like, "Oh, it'll be a good match," but it ended up being a lot better than I I thought it was. Exactly. Number 7, Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens Royal Rumble 2016 in their last man standing match. Um Ambrose actually won the match by throwing Owens off the top turnbuckle through two tables that had been positioned outside the ring. Hell of a conclusion to a last man standing match and uh, uh you know, one that certainly lives up to Dean's uh lunatic fringe namesake. <laughs> uh, number six is the shield versus evolution and extreme rules. I mean, we oh. discussed this before, but It'll be higher. this is the old versus the new and all six men put in an exceptional work effort, uh, ethic here. The shield came out on top shortly before Seth Rollins turned on his teammates. So, I mean, this is the match where we said before this elimination match, it, not only was it a dream matchup, but the shield were so dominant. They did not get any of their members eliminated. So, uh, that's right, yeah, clean sweep. Yep. Number five is Dean Ambrose versus AJ Styles at TLC 2016. We covered this on the other list, but shows up here as a fan favorite. Uh, the finish did happen when James Ellsworth tiptoed from across the top of the ladder, allowing AJ Styles to, you know, time to recover, climb the ladder, and retrieve his title. But, A, you know, still a great match over. Right, right. Number four, we have the Shield versus the Wyatt family. We, again, covered this in great detail before as well. This is from Elimination Chamber 2014. Like we said, the two teams, red hot. This is their first showdown with each on an episode of Raw. Already started them getting into it. This is awesome before they actually faced off. And as I don't know if we mentioned before with the buildup, but the shield kept trying to get them to get into an altercation and the Wyatt family would like encroach a little bit. They'd, they'd approach them and then they'd, they'd back off and disappear. The lights would go out, they'd show up in the ring, then they would disappear. You know, they, they, they weren't about fighting until they got to the pay-per-view. So it really was a, a magnificent build.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. And it was so easy too. they didn't really need to do a whole hell of a lot with it.
1: Absolutely. Number three, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins, money in the bank. 2015 so one yep. year before Rollins would uh, defeat uh, one year before Ambrose would defeat Rollins th- for his WWE championship this is when they had their thrilling ladder match and right, it was right, right. a hell of a finish like I said Rollins was clinging on to it as they hit the mat a photo finish I really thought Dean had it there They they could not have pulled that off any better excellent 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 execution to really make us think that Dean won
0: yeah, that one that one got me a little on the edge of my seat. I do remember that.
1: Number 2 is Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins, Hell in a Cell 2014. Now, this one I was surprised by. I I wouldn't put this up there as other people. It's the finish. The ending isn't it? with Bray Wyatt. Yeah. The finish really kills it for me, but even when you go back, I mean, the purpose of the match was to end the feud and people say, "Well, oh, it did that." It did for a couple of months, but only because he went on to face Bray Wyatt, and then he came right back to Seth Rollins. So, right? Yeah. I mean, I know they beat each other from pillar to post, but, the, you know, the, they climbed the outside of the cage, went through the table. There, there were some good spots, the elbow drop with the table set up, uh, you know, with the ladder to the apron, things like that. It just, I don't know, I felt like it could have been a little bit more exciting and the finish really sticks out like a sore thumb so for me i wouldn't have put this that high but a lot of fans voted this up to number two and number one drum roll please is the shield versus team hell no and ryback now yeah okay at first i said i was surprised but they said has there ever been a more impressive debut than that given by the shield at tlc 2012 no You know, as far as stable goes, this you know these guys were hardly rookies, but essentially that's what they were to the you know the layman. And the stipulation was utilized expertly. The match was full blown carnage from bell to bell. The crowd were so red hot throughout, and it wasn't like they were taking on jobbers for their first match or anything. This was Daniel Bryan, Kane, and Ryback, and Ryback was a huge deal as we as we made note of before as well. (laughs) He was he was at the top of his game, going yeah. (laughs) I mean, in 2012, towards the end of it, he was going for the WWE Championship against CM Punk.
0: Yep, And
1: all three men's performances are some of the best in the company in this match. I I will give them the utmost respect for it. So the rookies shone brightly, and they certainly made one hell of a legacy for themselves starting here. So great debut, number one. Make sure you check out those ten matches, plus the five we mentioned before from the CCW and uh, Dragon Gate USA days as well.
0: Yeah, just caution, there's a lot of blood. I mean, a lot of blood. But anyways, <laughs> um, Jake, I've kind of said my piece on this. Is there anything you want to kind of add on here on the, on the end of t- the Dean Ambrose stuff?
1: No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I just, I'm really curious to see where we go from here. We'll have to, uh, again, as we said before, maybe do an update a few months down the road to make a little addendum and say you know, we see where John Moxley ends up.
0: Yes, that's the plan. So for those of you who don't know, we, we do plan on doing I think every maybe tenth episode or so. We haven't figured out the schedule yet. We're probably gonna do some sort of like update on like what's happened on all the different, you know, participants that we've or participants, the subjects that we've we've talked about in every episode of the wrestling retrospective. So we will Innocent definitely do- until proven guilty. All yeah. subjects according to the state law. <laughs> dun dun. Um but um We'll be doing an update on all that maybe as a bonus episode, maybe a precursor for episode 11. I don't know yet. But speaking of next episodes, man, Dean Ambrose was a a whole lot more than I thought we were going to really dive into. But it was interesting to kind of go back and really, again, analyze all these like it is for every single episode of The Retrospective. But the next one I think is going to – as much as the Dean Ambrose one won our poll – The next one that we're doing, Jake, I think is going to be... I'm predicting it might be one of our more popular episodes. So far, to date, the Undertaker one is the most popular one we've done. But I'm going to argue, I think the next one is going to be even bigger. And that's Owen Hart.
1: I cannot wait for this one. I mean, there's there's so much that sticks out in my mind with Owen. And uh, what a shame that his career was so tragically cut short. I still wonder to this day where he would have gone from where he was. I mean, I, I, you know, just to give people a tease, had heard recently that, oh, he was supposed to be the character of the game. You know, that was that was one thing that he was yeah. quoted as saying in the back. You know, you, you play the game, I am the damn game. And that's the role that Triple H took over yeah. after after Owen, you know, unfortunately passed away, so... Well, we're would, t- would he have been where Triple H was? That's certainly a possibility. You know, we, we could have, could have only see. But I really am interested to hear more about his early days elsewhere and and see what he did getting into WWE.
0: So yeah, it's going to require a lot of research on our end. So oh, um, absolutely. If yeah. you guys have
1: any interesting tidbits you want us to include in that, don't forget you can reach out to both of us on Twitter. Obviously, Connor's at OKFabe. I'm at Countdown Ended. Please make sure to uh, give us any feedback, questions, comments you have, and also suggestions for future episodes. Plus, like Connor said, visit the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash OKFabe. Gold tier, $5 a month or more, gets you these episodes one month early. You get to hear them as soon as we finish recording them live. So yep. go ahead and you get them as soon as they're done. Can't beat that. You get to be uh, you know thanked as well in, in every episode. and Plus, you get a bunch of other cool perks.
0: Yeah, I mean those those nude photos don't come out till later, but you know. Anyway, um, private Snapchat. Oh, God, that's the last thing I need right now. Anyway, but with that being <laughs> said, guys, uh, I want to thank Jake again for another awesome episode of the Wrestling Retrospective. Again, we'll be back next month for uh, Owen Hart, and that one's gonna be uh, again. I think that one's gonna be emotional, tearjerker. I'm 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 gonna project. Like I said, I think this one's gonna be one of the most popular ones we've done. Um, But we're going to be doing in-depth Owen Hart. Again, like Jake said, hit us up on social media, Discord, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or even the Patreon page. And let us know your thoughts and favorite moments, matches, memories of Owen Hart. And we'll see you guys next time for another awesome episode of Wrestling Retrospective. Thank you guys again for your continued love and support. Take care. And as always, take it easy.